It's the Breakcast. Breakcast. The PopBreak.com. Breakcast. Breakcast. Listen to the show. Because you're in for the PopBreak.com. Breakcast. Breakcast. Oh, It was the night of March 18th, 2018, less than seven days before the release of the new Wes Anderson film, Isle of Dogs. His name is Bill Bodkin, the editor-in-chief and co-founder of ThePopBreak.com. On this podcast, he was joined by Daniel Cohen, the film editor of the site, also a lover of bagels and everything from the Boston area, and also joined by Alicia Weinberger, social media editor, and a woman who could solve any problem in the world with a Rick and Morty gif. Yes, this is a really bad impersonation of Alec Baldwin's narration from the Royal Tenenbaums. Welcome to the first ever broadcast about Wes Anderson. All right, so I tried a thing there. Um, excellent, excellent. I, I liked it. I thought it was a valiant effort, and I give it. I would give it an A minus. All right, well, A minus for Alec Baldwin. So yes, welcome to the broadcast. My name is Bill Bodkin. <laughs> Uh, this is the official po- podcast of ThePopBreak.com, and we are doing a little bit of a different podcast today. No preview, no review. Uh, we are doing a bit of uh, an homage, paying tribute to our one of our favorite directors, Wes Anderson. I am joined, when we talk about film, by the California kid himself, our film editor, Dan Cohen. Fact, and our- Wes Anderson is a great filmmaker. Fact, this is going to be a great podcast. Fact, if you get this joke that I'm doing right now then you are absolutely listening to the right podcast. Oh, man, that, that I'm, I'm, I've had a long day, uh, <laughs> so I didn't get any of that. Uh, and, of course, joined by Alicia Weinberger, our social media editor and Wes Anderson fan, who, when we said, hey, Alicia, would you like to do Wes Anderson? And the, it, the answer was yes, immediately. So, Alicia, how are you today? I'm great. How are you guys? Rock and next- roll. So... We're going to talk about, like I said, Isle of Dogs coming out this Friday uh, in our uh, 2018 preview uh, film preview podcast. Dan and I named this as the number one movie we are most excited for. Henceforth, what was the impetus for this podcast? Um, so I'm going to I'm just start it off, um, you know. Since all three of us on this podcast, we're obviously huge Wes Anderson fans, so it's not going to be like someone didn't covertly get in there. It's just going to be like, I'm going to, you know, ruin the day, kind of like Willem Dafoe sneaking around in uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, but we're going to just talk about our love for him. You know, we're also going to be very honest about some of the films and some of the moments that maybe we didn't like as much. Um, but guys, let's start out and talk about what was our, our first, your first exposure uh, to Wes Anderson, Alicia, I'm going to kick it to you first, since uh, Dan and I do this all the time. So, uh, you're the you're the new kid on the podcast block for movies. Uh, so, I want to get your thoughts on Wes Anderson when you first discovered his work. Oh man, I think the first uh, first movie I had experience, but didn't really know it was Wes Anderson was Rushmore. Um, me and my brother growing up, we were like big Phantom Planet fans, and at the time. Jason Schwartzman, I think, was still a drummer. Mm-hmm. And we were just like, oh, hey, the, the drummer from Phantom Planet is in this movie. We watched it. And then, like, fast forward a couple years later, 
uh, The Life Aquatic came out, and then that's when we put two and two together. That oh, this is this is the same guy. But uh, so yeah, Life Aquatic was the most impressionable on me. But it, but as far as the first one I've ever seen was definitely Rushmore. Uh, Dan, what about you? Rushmore was also the first one I saw as well. And that was, so it came out in 1998, but it was limited release then. So pretty sure I saw it in 99, early 99. Uh, I was about what, I think 14 years old. Um, and so I saw it with my dad and one of my older brothers and it, he was kind of, he knew about the movie. I knew absolutely nothing about it. Oh, the only thing I knew about Rushmore was that Bill Murray was in it and it was being talked about like as one of his best performances. So his, I knew that his role was getting hyped up for it, but I knew absolutely nothing else about the film. Uh, so I went into it and I was just kind of like, oh, whatever, we'll see what this is. Uh, when I walked out of Rushmore, I was not the same person um really kind of like i know this is gonna be a weird comparison but kind of like the way pulp fiction i think was for a lot of people and that it changed the way that they really looked at film and how it was made i mean that's that was kind of me when i saw rushmore with wes anderson and because like you know pulp fiction i was like 10 years old so that i I saw that movie after the fact but after Rushmore, I mean, his style was ingrained in my head, uh, and it really did change the way I looked at movies. Like, I, I had no idea that you were allowed to make a movie that way, just the way he told the story with the curtains and kind of splitting them up into these little vignettes with months and everything. Um, so I cannot wait to talk about a lot of his work. couple misses, but we're going to get to those. Um, so absolutely Rushmore and it's Rushmore is definitely like in probably my top 25 favorite movies of all time. So, but it was really his next film that truly changed me. Uh, but we'll get into all that. So, but much like Alicia, it was Rushmore was my first one as well. Um, spoilers. I'm sure Rushmore is behind Batman versus Superman. And Dan's no, I, mean, we'll ta- we'll, I mean, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> I know, but it's just the we always have to bring that up. Um, for me, it was the Royal Tenenbaums. And uh, I had heard about uh, Rushmore. I remember mostly because of the MTV Movie Awards, how they incorporated um, oh, that's those right. vignettes that you talked about into the awards that year. So, Alicia, you were probably about nine months old when that came out. Um, I think it was oh, 98. Oh, yeah. I was, I was born. I'm, I'm 24. Yeah, so I was born in 1993. So I, I saw it, like, obviously way after the fact. Um, but yeah, like, like Dan said, like that was honestly like the, the first comedy that I saw that wasn't like a, like a, just a typical, um, like the comedy was in, in a lot of the editing and, in the, you know, not, not, not your typical Hollywood, uh, laughs. I also like yeah. that it was Phantom Planet that got you into it. Um, but for me, it was Royal Tenenbaums. I remember I was in college when Royal Tenenbaums came out, and I was I was still re- relatively young in college. Uh, so it was 2001. So I was probably heading. It was probably my sophomore year of college. Um, and I remember reading a review by my editor at the time, and he was like, really a guy, a nice guy and all, but um, a guy who tried. He's like, hmm, I've read a New York Times review before. I'm going to really try and make it like a New York Times review. And so I was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> And then I had a couple of good friends who were like, oh, dude, I think you're going to like this movie. And I remember seeing the DVD, um, what it looked like, the, the book, 
that uh, Margot Ten- uh, not Margot Tenenbaum writes um, Angelica Angelica Houston's character writes um, Ethelene Tenenbaum, and I was like, I was really intrigued by it. And I remember watching it, and I was just like, I want to make movies, and obviously, I sort of kind of did that point one point in my life, but. It was just like it just like like Dan like who said with Rushmore it was like a movie that like changed the way I look at movies, um, and uh, so I was like I was hooked from then on in, and I have pretty much gone to see every single. Oh no, since Rushmore, I, I'm sorry, since Royal Tenenbaums, I have I have parked myself in the movie theaters to see every Wes Anderson movie that comes out. So why don't we uh, why don't we st- when we talk about Wes Anderson? Why don't we start at the beginning of his career? And uh, that is the nineteen nine, the one that really broke him as well as his uh, co-writer and his two stars out onto the Hollywood scene. And that mm-hmm. movie is Bottle Rocket, released in nineteen ninety six. And who were his co-stars? Uh, the stars of his movie were Luke and Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson uh, also co-wrote the the film with Wes Anderson, a theme that would uh, go throughout uh, the first few films of Anderson's career. Um, now. I personally did not see this movie in 1996 because I don't think it would have been on my radar, really. Probably saw it much, much later, maybe about 10 years later uh, on the early days of Netflix. Uh, what about you guys? You, when do you remember seeing Bottle Rocket? Well, I saw So Bottle Rocket was the third movie I saw in his library, and it's the only one that I didn't see in the theaters from Wes Anderson. And it's like, look, after the Royal Tenenbaums, like, I... I mean, I I became obsessed with the director, and so I was like, oh, I have to go back and watch everything else he's ever done. And when I looked at the library, I was like, oh, it's just Bottle Rocket that I have to see. Um, I am really glad that I saw Bottle Rocket kind of after the fact, like after Rushmore and after the Royal Tenenbaums. It was really interesting because you can – so like it's it's his first film, right? So obviously he was still developing his voice – but you can see like very early inclinations of his style in Bottle Rocket. Just like small things like the way the title flashes across the screen. Um, even little things like the way Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson like jump over the fence early in the movie. Um, and then just there's this one scene later in the film where he, he gets like this very close-up shot of the desk. And it's like everything is very neatly and organized. And obviously, Dignan is a very Wes Anderson character. Like, that is the first Wes Anderson character that you can and remember. And Dignan is, is played by Owen Wilson, then billed oh, as oh. Owen C. Wilson. Oh, by the way, uh, the joke that I was doing earlier with the fact that that was from Bottle Rocket. Um, it is kind of an obscure part of the movie, but man, o- Owen Wilson's great in this movie. Um, I like this movie quite a bit. I mean, it definitely, like, you can definitely tell it's from a first-time director. It has some issues. I'll get into those a little bit later, but uh, I'm actually really curious to see what Alicia thinks about this one because I know that this was a recent one that she just watched. Yeah, so uh, I did not watch Barack until two nights ago. It's it's weird. It's weird because my first exposure to Wes Anderson and or more so like my more impressionable experiences with Wes Anderson are his more Hollywood blockbusters, uh, like Life Aquatic, uh, Grand Buda Best Hotel being like the latest. And it's strange to go to take the clock back in retrospect and see like all these early, very Wes Anderson tropes in the raw. So, you know, he, he doesn't have like all these lateral shots like he does 
uh, like these tracking shots through almost like these kind of dollhouse sets. But you do kind of see it in, like in the scene where, um, what's the guy's name? Bob gets shot and they're dragging him through like a warehouse. So that's like kind of, that's like the earliest form I can imagine of, of like, oh, hey, I'm going to do these it's grand like lateral shots that you kind of see in like Life Aquatic, for example, when they're walking across the ship and he's, he's starting to see him just play around with these these establishing color palettes of like pastels and yellows and these very autumn colors like in fantastic mr fox so it's 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 uh it was weird it was it was almost like watching a student film i I mean wasn't that the thing wasn't this a was this a student film so i think i think he did a short which i haven't seen so i think bottle rocket was originally a short and then obviously he got this movie made um and so as his first real film yeah, because I was gonna say because the uh, this this actually uh, like Alicia was saying this is basically uh, the start of a lot of things for him. Music by Mark Mothersbaugh of mm-hmm. Devo. Um, you also had an uncredited performance from Leslie Mann in this film. Um, uh, Kumar Palana, uh, who would go on to be Pagoda and be on to a number of different films he's in. Um, he's done throughout his career. First shows up in here, and uh, oddly enough, James Caan. Such so such a random appearance. He's in a kimono or a gi at one point, like doing tai chi. Uh, uh, Very unusual. Andrew Wilson, uh, the third Wilson brother, also makes an appearance. Uh, Brian Tenenbaum uh, makes it is in this film as uh, H. Clay Murchison. So you know, obviously a reference to a later film. But um, for me, kind of like Alicia, I went back after seeing all these high gloss Wes Anderson films going back to see bottle rocket. And it does take a little bit off the edge. Like I could imagine if you were seeing this film, uh, 1996 for the first time, you know, really during that height of that mid nineties, like indie film boom, um, that you were just like, ah, here's just another great indie film. And I mean, obviously launches Wes Anderson launches both Wilson brothers career. Um, and I guess you could say Leslie Mann's career, uh, but it's uh, you do go back to it, and you're just like, okay, you get the A for effort. I see this is like it's almost like listening to a band's demo tape, and you hear, okay, I hear, like Alicia was saying, you you hear or you see where everything kind of sprouted out from or where he was first attempting to do all this. But at the same time, it's not a movie I'm probably ever going to go back and watch. See, that's interesting, and I, I was going to ask both of you, like, so, you know, we've talked about how, and Alicia brought it up best, like, you can feel the raw style here of Wes Anderson. He's, you know, he's dipping his toe into the water, uh, he's, you know, he's not going all the way into the deep end yet, uh, but that's, uh, overall, as a movie, uh, I think it's good. It's a solid movie. I think, for me, I think the first 20 minutes of this film is actually, ex- like, excellent. Uh, I love the interplay between the three characters, of uh of Anthony, you know, played by Luke Wilson, Dignan, we already talked about, and Bob. Um, it's pretty funny. I do. I, I actually think there's a little bit of a Big Lebowski feel in there, just in the way sure. that Dignan treats Bob. Um, there's a lot of really funny lines that that you like. For example, when uh when they're planning the when they're planning the the bookstore heist, um, in in Bob's kitchen. And Bob is just trying to saying like, hey, you know, I, I paid for the gun here. I paid for the gun. Like, you got to give me more credit. And Dignan is just like, repeat what you just said. Repeat that. Repeat like that is that is a Wes Anderson scene. 
Uh, I think my problem with Bottle Rocket is everything after they pull the elaborate bookstore heist. Uh, it goes a little bit downhill. Like, it's just not... Like, it's fine. You know, I buy into the relationship between uh, Anthony and Inez. Like, that was good. <laughs> but the, it's just... Like, it just doesn't hit the high points that it does in that first 20 minutes. I think he does lose steam. And it's just for for a filmmaker who is so hyper-focused on great characters, it loses some of that. Like, I think, overall, I think Bottle Rocket is a one-trick pony. And it is a I, it is a really great Owen Wilson performance, because I really do like that character. And he is very much a character that we see a lot in Wes Anderson movies, a guy who's just obsessed with routine, you know, doing the 75-year plans in the notebooks. Um, but, you know, good movie, but I, I overall agree with Bill that it's probably something I'm not going to revisit a ton in his library, but I do like it. What's weird about this film also, if these numbers are correct, is you have a budget of $7 million, $7 million budget, supposedly. For and a grand Wow. Yeah, and it, I mean, that's what I'm saying. This could be weird I internet logic here or internet misfacts. And it made like a half a million dollar gross. So for... I'm going to double check that, by the way. Uh, but like, you know, that, that's kind of like for, for a film to get done like that, lose money like that. I mean, it was surprised that Wes Anderson, I mean, I, I guess based off the. The short he made. The short and based off just the, the, the word of mouth this film got. I mean, that allowed him to make a second film, uh, which I guess kind of sachets us into the next film, which is uh, which I don't think there's much sacheting in this film. But Rushmore. 1998 film um obviously so i'm gonna let you guys talk more about this film because this was your first foray into wes anderson uh alicia i'd like to start with you first now my question is obviously you were four when this movie first came out which makes me just feel so old is um as i look at my gray hair um when did you end up actually seeing roughly about what year it's really hard to say. Um, I was definitely younger than 10 years old. Uh, I, I, I can definitely say that. Um, and, and, and it was definitely introduced to me by my, my much cooler older brother, um, whose, whose musical tastes definitely influenced me. Uh, so, like I said before, like Phantom Planet was really what like piqued my interest in the movie. Uh, so it had it been around the height of that one Phantom Planet album that had California on it, and that song was being blasted everywhere in the WB. Uh, <laughs> Definitely was. Yeah, like uh, Seventh Heaven or whatever the hell that show was, was So that was around, rough, roughly around 2002, one I would have never pegged you for an OC fan, but, you know, that's legit. Oh, absolutely not. I just remember hearing it all the time. Mm. Yeah, and I, was, I definitely ran, walked around uh, as this, like, elitist kid in school and like all the girls were like playing blasting that song i'm like you guys don't know who that band is you just you just heard it from uh the the oc (laughs) oh alicia you are so i I like i like the oc theme song fine i think it's okay i i haven't seen i haven't seen two minutes i haven't seen two minutes of the uh of the show uh, and not because I've like I've actively avoided the OC, just because I haven't had time to revisit. There's a lot of other TV shows I'd like to revisit before the OC. 
<laughs> um, I actively avoided it. Okay. Um, I, I was yeah, like almost out of college when that movie, show came out. So I was like, no. Um, but so that's interesting. That So you were still like you were less than 10 years old. What is it about the film that because like there's a lot of really subtle humor in that unless you're oh, like yeah. the queen of subtle humor as a kid, which is totally possible. But like what grabs you about this movie at such a young age? Um, I think just like this, the, the idea of, I, I mean, definitely not. I, I mean, as a kid, I probably, probably a lot of jokes flew over my head that I didn't really catch on to as I watched it as an adult much later. Um, but I just love the, the character, Jason Schwartzman's character, who was just this, even as like a little kid, uh, I could relate to him. He's just this overachieving um, wants to fit in student, but he just truly just sucks at everything. <laughs> I, 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 Max Fisher, I, I mean, he could be my favorite Wes Anderson character. I mean, just starting right off the bat here. Um, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I kind of feel like he, he is, I mean, I, if I can make this assumption, I feel like that probably was, a lot of Wes Anderson growing up. If I can oh, I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like this, this kind of um, amateur, like dilettante in like the arts and you know things like fencing and all these kind of sociolite cultural uh, New Yorker esque like activities, but never really like truly came from that. Uh, I I think. Um... Oh, wow, I just totally lost my train of thought on that one. Um, Dan, save me from uh, my own. Well, I actually, just... well, the, the, here, here's the thing with Rushmore, is that I actually want to talk about Bill Murray for a little bit, because this is, and obviously Wes Anderson and Bill Murray have built a very uh, Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio-like relationship here. Bill Murray has been in every one of his films since Rushmore. There's always a spot for Bill Murray, although eh, when we get into the, Darjeeling Limited. I, I want to talk about that a little more. But so Bill Murray. So when you watch Herman Bloom in this film, it's it's not that different from a lot of other Bill Murray characters, like deadpan humor, sarcastic, that kind of thing. But what what Wes Anderson does here is I feel like he unleashes the full potential of Bill Murray. Uh, I think this might. I think you could actually, yeah. you actually could say this was the Bill Murray assance. Uh, we like to throw assance on the end of a lot of people, but if you look at Bill Murray's career at the time when he was going into um, at post Rushmore, this was a guy who you know a lot of people it was like right after Groundhog Day you had Mad Dog and Glory, Ed Wood, which in retrospect very good movie, but panned when it came out, Kingpin. Again, it was a movie people loved in retrospect. Larger Than Life, the elephant movie. Ah. Uh, Space Jam. I mean, he was Bill Murray in Space Jam. Um, the Man Who Knew Too Little. Um, he was kind of like on this like very lukewarm career path. True. And he I was feel- truly great in Kingpin, though, just as a side note. That is- well, but, but again, that was a movie that a lot of people like um, – I'm sorry, like the one I, I had mentioned before, mm-hmm. Ed Wood, was not well received when uh, that movie came out. Yeah, like, because that yep. was that was Kingpin was the follow up to Dumb and Dumber. 
So the expectations was were massive, and a lot of people were let down. Of course, if we look back at that now, we love it. Um, but yeah, Rushmore, I think it was really the the Bill Murray sans. I mean, he was nominated for Academy Award for this film. He was no, he was not. No, there's no. Oh, was he really? No. So he was talked about. He was on the bubble. Um, one of the surprising things about Wes Anderson, I, I could have swore he. I, I'll triple. Oh, I'll, tri- that, I'll triple check that? it. I'll triple check it. But one of the things is there oh, is never was lost in translation. Yeah, 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 yeah. But one of the things is that, you know, actually a Wes Anderson actor has never been nominated for an Academy Award, which is crazy. He's worked with, God, how many great actors? I mean, yeah, great. Right. Uh, I, I the, throw my hands up. He list. was nominated no, but for I, an Academy he, Award for Lost in Translation. He certainly should have been nominated here, though, so I can tell you that. It's just, here. here's the thing, like with Herman Bloom, is that you get all the Bill Murray stuff, like just the little things when he's talking on the phone and he's walking through the basketball court and he just smashes <laughs> the ball away from like the kids playing. I mean, that is just classic Bill Moore, Bill Murray, or when he uh, hands Miss Cross the note from Max Fisher and then he just like runs away in this really awkward manner. But what he also gets out of Bill Murray is, I think, a very emotional performance of this very sad and lonely guy and as only bill murray can he he really offers a great performance in a very subtle way that you don't expect um i just uh, it could be we'll, we'll talk more about the other later wes anderson films but he's used bill murray a lot but this could be for me the best wes anderson bill murray performance i i just i think what he does with this character is amazing let me pose this question to both of you guys. Mm-hmm. Is this Bill Murray's best performance of his career? Yes. I'm just going to right to the finish line and tell you, I think it is. Uh, Alicia, what do you think? Oh, man. You know, I'm really kind of biased in that because I, 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 I absolutely love The Life Aquatic. So I'm, I'm going to have to go with The Life Aquatic on this one. I, I mean, F- nice. fair, I, fair enough. No, and yeah. he's de- when we talk about that, we'll definitely talk about that one later. But I mean, that is a more layer and like the movie is more hinged on him, obviously. Um, but I, I got to go with Herman Bloom for you. But I think it seems like you both are in agreement, though, with Life Aquatic, which is totally uh, fair. Um, yeah. No, I know. I, I just like it. I just like that choice because it would have been very easy to go with this. Alicia always, always keeping it 100. There you uh, go. So, um, <laughs> But I also have to say, Lost in Translation. That really, yeah, it's it's hard to argue that. It's kind of I, I would probably go with Lost in Translation. Look, he's I great in that a- film. I just don't love the movie. Uh, I see, I do. Okay, so I also want to point out a couple ancillary things about this film. Yep. Uh, as we mentioned, Leslie Mann had an uncredited role in that film in in Bottle Rocket. Alexis Bledel of Gilmore Girls fame and now of The Handmaid's Tale, uncredited as one of Max Fisher's. Uh, uh, classmates we also see a number of returns um of uh characters that we've seen before of course kumar palana who was in bottle rocket returns as the world famous mr little jeans yep possibly one of my favorite names of any character in any wes anderson film um we also saw this was the first time seymour castle uh was in his films and i have to say um as much as i love bill murray in this movie and i really do I actually might love Seymour Castle more. Totally understandable. He's he's fantastic in this film. Absolutely, he gives one of the a, just a brilliantly understated, quiet, but yet such a warm and almost at times tragic mm-hmm. 
performance, and I really love it. And I love the ending where he's talking. Oh, by the way, there's going to be spoilers if you haven't seen. We'll, we'll put that warning on when we post the podcast. Yeah, we're yeah no, I'm just saying it now. But when he's talking to the woman who's next to him uh, by the program, he's saying, "Oh, my son did this." It's a it's a nice little warm moment, which I really loved. Um, but I also felt like one thing we had here in this in this film, and you see this with um, Max Fisher and, and Miss Miss Cross, is you get a lot of really tense raw and i'll just say ugly moments and that uh that are just an ugly not it's just uh, it's just uh, like awkward but very realistic emotional sequences that you see it in you definitely see it in royal tenenbaums um you see it in parts in grand budapest too um and i thought that relationship really shows a lot of the good and bad side of both of them which i thought for especially for a second film big big studio backing was a very ballsy move from Wes Anderson and I think he would see that would kind of be his forte um now my question to both of you is this uh, of the little interstitials and the little movies he did um what was your favorite one oh so kind of like as far as within this movie yeah Max Rush- Fisher. Yeah, yeah oh that's a great question uh ooh, I gotta think about that one Alicia do you have one so I'm sorry. Said again, it was favorite moments within like Rushmore. Yeah, well, like, well, like in his little plays and his little movies that he does. Uh, what's your favorite? What's your favorite like kind of moments from among those? You know, he obviously did Serpico. He did a couple other ones. What was your like your favorite? Or even like even some of those like in the beginning where they're showing all his clubs. Which ones is ones that always stick with you guys? My I the one I took away the most was when he gets kicked out and he has to go to public school and he's fencing in the public school gym on his own. And then the other kids just start playing basketball around him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd have to say my favorite moment. I mean, I I obviously, I love the, the end production is amazing, but if there's one little fleeting moment is during the, um, where he's talking to bloom at the wrestling match. And he's just like, He's like, I heard you in Vietnam. He's like, yeah. He's like, you were in the shit. He's like, I was in the shit. And then he's just like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm an alternate. And then he just gets slammed immediately. And I'm just like, it's so perfect, that moment. It's just joke, joke, joke. And it doesn't hit you over the head. It's just because there's a lot of big moments in this this film. But it's just this nice, quiet moment. And I probably have quoted that a million times. Uh, one of my favorite, well, I, I'm going to talk about a couple here. You mentioned briefly one of them, Bill, but the montage early on of just all the clubs he's in, because here's what that does. It It's very early in the movie, and it sets up the tone of this film perfectly. Like this very offbeat, like the fact that he's in a beekeeper's club, you know, it's like, I mean, it's a high school student and he's in, you know, like fencing and just all these oddball things and just the song choice is perfect. And obviously Wes Anderson is a master when it comes to formulating soundtracks. Oh my God. Uh, And so I just love, and that was really like the first like Wes Anderson type montage. Um, One of my other though favorite moments uh, and it's kind of back to back. I love Herman Bloom's chapel speech. I think it's just hilarious. Uh, take, you know, get the rich kids in your crosshairs and take them down. It's just so funny the way he delivers that line. Um, but also one of my favorite moments, like honestly ever, I think in a Wes Henderson movie, it is in Rushmore. And it's just when he's talking to Herman Bloom, when he's kind of driving away in the car 
and Herman is just like, Max, you know, what's the secret? And he think and Max thinks about it for a little bit. And he's just like, I don't know. I think you just got to find something, you know, you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. And, you know, for me, it's going to rush more. It's just such a funny line, but also just very profound. Like, it, this is his dream is just going to this school and just running these clubs, even though, as Alicia mentioned before, like, he's really not academically good at anything. I mean, he's getting like, what, a 65 in botany for crying out loud. Uh, just so many, just so many great moments. I, I, I could talk about this film for days, uh, if you, if you hadn't been able to tell. What I love about, like, Max Fisher's character is, uh, he's almost like the inverse of the jock that's never, like, gotten over his touchdown in high school and still wears the varsity wow. jacket. Like, wow. Oh, yeah. It's not, okay, that sounds cruel. <laughs> no, it's, it's a perfect, perfect, it's a, it's perfect. No, it's absolutely. Because, and, and this is one one thing I wanted to touch on was like how Wes Anderson is just so great at telling a story through like his set use. Um, oh yeah. Because I, I read at some point in the movie, not until later when he gets when Jason Schwartzman or Matt, Max Fisher gets kicked out of Rushmore, you don't realize like he kind of comes from like a poor household. Uh, unless I'm wrong, unless it was mentioned much earlier in the movie. But oh no, no, it, yeah, he's no, oh, no. That's a big part of what his character <laughs> is. Is that you know his he's. And that's why, kind of what I said earlier, is why Herman Bloom's speech really affects him, is because he's on Rushmore on scholarship. Yeah, so it just feels like he's he's just this kind of tragic character because he just comes from this poor background, uh, just working class. He gets to, you, you you eventually see his dad or um, or his grandfather or uncle. He's uh, dead. He's dad, yeah, uh, at his house, and it's just this tiny little house in the boonies. And you just think, I can't help but think, like, th- this is the height he'll, this is the highest he'll ever achieve in his life is just going to Rushmore. And he's never thought it, uh, you know, thought it through past just being in high school, kind of like that jock that's never gotten over his touchdown. I, I think that's a great analogy. And it's such a, and it's such a big thing for his character at the end of the movie, because what does he do um, as he's kind of changing is that he gives Herman the one of the pins that he's earned at Rushmore. And like that, that is his example of like, this is my varsity jacket. This is my touchdown. He wins one for perfect attendance and he wins one for punctuality. And he's always wearing those pins. And then what happens at the end is that he gives one of those pins to Herman as kind of like telling the audience, Hey, Max is now changing. Like he doesn't have to live in the Rushmore shadow forever. Uh, So no, it was a, it's a perfect analogy. And one of the best dad jokes of all time is a scene with him and Luke Wilson. So what are you wearing? Oh, our scrubs. Oh, oh are, are they? they? <laughs> that is, I mean, that line, I think it's in the trailer. And it, uh, it, 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 sh- it should be so, so bad. It should so be so funny. bad. But in the scene, it's just perfect. Uh, you know what? what I also, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go. What I also love to kind of go back to this whole uh you know, he's really just like this this poor kid that try, trying to play rich, um, kind of like old old money versus the new money is when he gets kicked out of public school or gets kicked into public school. Uh, his little girlfriend that like kind of follows him around and it's Margaret Yang. Yeah, she's clearly like enamored with him and great character. And I I guess I'm I'm I guess it's implied that she thinks like he's already oh he's this cultured prep school kid and he's fences and he's going to my school and she just kind of follows him around like a little puppy dog. 
what's so great about that relationship is that you think Margaret Yang is like this perfect character, but then what happens at the end is that she's very, very much like Max and that she faked her results at her science fair, which is so funny to me. Um, it's just, yeah, it, it, again, it's just, it's Wes Anderson's second film, but you, you can already see how good he is at creating characters. Uh, and that's, he's that's a wonder. A, that's the crazy thing. If you look at the difference in quality in every aspect of this film sure. compared to Bottle Rocket, it's like, it, it's, it's astounding. Like how different it is. Right. Um, and, and then I'm going to awkwardly transition Oh, by the way, Margaret Yang also was in old school um, in a great was part. Was she really? Yeah, she's the one who what, Jeremy. Really? P- yeah, she was the one. Pitting, oh, yes. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Like, I'll help you get into Columbia. And uh, yeah, Margaret Yang, everybody. So you know, I guess her and Max broke up. She ends up running into guys from old school. Well, what so, a great callback. Uh, yeah, well, I just looked it up because I was like, is that the same actress? Uh, the next one we're going to talk about is. Um, my all time, and I'm just throwing it out there. My all time favorite Wes Anderson movie. It is the Royal Tenenbaums, released in 2001. Uh, this film, to me, um, I have seen this film probably. It's one of the films I've probably seen the most in my life. Um, me too. I absolutely adore this film, and I'm just looking something up real quick. So. Um, yeah, it was not nominated for uh, an Academy Award. For yeah, no, it, it got it got screenplay. That was it. Yeah, which is uh, it's a friggin' travesty. But this movie, another one written by Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson, obviously to this point the highest profile cast of um, any of uh, Wes Anderson's films. A lot of uh, one and dones here: Gene Hackman, Angelica Houston, Ben Stiller, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, Danny Glover. Of course, um, Alec Baldwin doing the narration, uh, joining the likes of Luke, Luke and Owen Wilson, Bill Murray, Seymour Castle, yep. Kumar Alana. Uh, and uh, one thing I, you know, I wanted to ask you guys was one thing that's always bothered me about this. I, I, I've talked to many people about this is when does this movie take place? Because it's it's one of the most frustrating and fascinating things about it because at times it seems like it's present day but everything else kind of looks like it's from the 70s so it's you know i don't know if that's a comment on like you know it's kind of stuck in their what their world was but at the height of their fame or it's just why not you know uh so i wonder what you guys thought about that well, I always feel like Wes Anderson's films are timeless, except, the, I mean, the, really the only one where he puts a timestamp on it is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, and so I just, I like, honestly, I just think that's his world that he creates. It is Wes Anderson's world, and I just take it as present day, but it's a, it is in his realm. Uh, so what did we all, uh, so when did you guys first see this one? Obviously, I, I have already expounded on that. Uh, talked about when I first saw it pretty much uh, a few months after this release on DVD. I want Alicia to go first on this one because when I start talking about the Royal Tenenbaums, we could be here for five weeks. So go for it. I'm going to do my yeah. best to bring in. So I keep, I'm sorry, I keep going back to Life Aquatic, but like honestly, like we'll Life there. Aquatic is, is really what, like when I realized like, oh, Rushmore and Life Aquatic were the same, it's the same guy, it's Wes Anderson. That's so I watched Life Aquatic first before the Royal Tenenbaums, 
and it went back. So I, with Wes Anderson, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly always going back. I either miss one of his movies, I, I'll see like his widely released ones, and then go back to the older ones. Um, now, did you like it, Life Aquatic more than Royal Tenenbaums? Yeah, <laughs> which I know is probably I know yeah I, probably no 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 travesty. <laughs> no 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 I have an interesting theory about that which I'm I probably I will get to yeah I, I have a lot to say on the life aquatic I, later too but all right I got gotcha. you I, I wanted to say something um, about like the timelessness of of the Royal Tenenbaums because I was actually just yeah. listening to um, Wes Anderson did like some sort of public uh, Q and A at an Apple Store for like the tenth anniversary of it and he was talking about how he intentionally blocked off like any sort of New York City monuments. Oh yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He wanted it to be New York City, but like a New York, I guess a New York City out of time or a very a very specific uh, experience of it. I I think um, for me, what I love about this movie so much is the and this is something about uh, very telling of the directors. I'm, I'm very fond of is the attention, the micro attention to details. You know, everything in this film, ranging from the flag atop of the spire of the Tenenbaum house to the uh, Dalmatian mice to the various games. The costumes. Pictures on the wall. Just everything is so, so, such minutia in there. Even if you open up the DVD case, um, and this is, I you know, I could, I could lament about physical, the loss of physical media for hours. Is you saw that like the the attention to detail that was hand drawn onto the DVD case, um, and that's what I really really love about this film. I also feel like his use of score is is absolutely outstanding, and um, I, I, you know what? I'll say it too. He brings the best performance out of a lot of his actors, and the one I'm going to say might not be the most obvious one. This is Alec Baldwin's best performance interesting his narration to me is like it's iconic narration it's perfect it's just like it was like alec baldwin was born to do that be a narrator and to tell this story um it's just like the warmth and richness of his voice with the matter of factness of it i don't think like i i i like alec baldwin as an actor I mean, I could probably give or take his Trump impersonation sometimes, but it's just like I just felt like it was just his best thing he's ever done. A lot of Thirty Rock fans are screaming into their computers right now, but I, I'm inclined to agree Listen, with Bill. Listen, I on this understand one. he he's he's he'll figure out to do both with both his hands, guys. It's okay. I I just <laughs> the the Royal Tenenbaums for me, it's like it's one of those what I call like benchmark movies where and Rushmore was like this to some extent, but. It was one of those movies that changed the way I look at films. Truman Show was Damn. one of those. The Dark Knight was one of those. Um, Whiplash was actually one of those. And for me, it's also the Royal Tenenbaums. Wait, I, you like Batman? <laughs> yeah, funny, funny. Yeah, funny. You should mention that. I do. Yeah, big Dark Knight fan. Um, so, but this is like I after I saw the Royal Tenenbaums, I did not know you were allowed to write characters this good. Um, it's just everything. And you, you mentioned it. You mentioned Alec Baldwin, Bill. I think you will never see a better performance by Gwyneth Paltrow. You will never see a better performance by Ben Stiller. Um, all right. I won't say that about Gene Hackman here, but I think you can make the it, argument. I think you can make the argument. I really do. Um, he should have been nominated for an Oscar here. That was a crime. Uh, 
and it just, you know, I think, and Bill, you said it best too, the micro details in this movie. I mean, if I, if I could describe Wes Anderson in, in one word, it would be specificity. And that's a big part of why this movie works so well. It's the, it's also a a big word too. (laughs) <laughs> but it's just the careful selection of the costumes that these characters wear, um, especially with Chaz Tenenbaum, Ben Stiller's character. And like, I'm telling you, I, I, I can prove to you that this movie had a big influence on me. I bought a red Adidas tracksuit and wore it around in high school because of this movie. This photos movie, are, photo, photos are, there, there probably are photos available somewhere. I don't know, but this I is did. like, Look, as someone who like I you know, I tried to dabble in screenwriting and writing and all that stuff, and this movie it shaped the way I write characters. And it just I wanna you know, when you when you look at a character like Chaz Tenenbaum, why is he wearing the red Adidas tracksuit? It's because he he wants to be in a constant state of being ready. And just that level of detail to me is incredible. There's so many scenes I can talk about with this movie. It's just like, here, here's what it speaks to how great the Royal Tenenbaums is, is that you have Bill Murray here, who I think is giving one of his best performances here, and that's, that's like the ninth best thing about the Royal Tenenbaums, is like Bill Murray here. All the stuff with him and Dudley, j- just hilarious. And it's it's great to see him like, you know, not not be this like center character, like oh, like because mm-hmm. I, I would think at this point like Bill Bill Murray and Wes Anderson are pretty closely associated, so it's, he's kind of just this back burner character, but he's just he's just great, he's just this schluppy, just <laughs> cuckold psychologist. Oh, thank you for using what that. What a great use made. of the word. Schle- yeah, that was that was awesome. Like, you've made a you made a cuckold out of me. <laughs> I also think you're um, gonna say this is Luke Wilson's best performance oh, too. Oh, easily. Yeah, I can't believe I left him out in, the, in my little uh, rant there. Oh, absolutely. He is I, emotionally gripping in this movie. I mean, it also like, and Wes Anderson's a master, that, and, that's, and that's the ugly moment. Like I was talking about, like the ugly sure. moment with with uh, with Max and, and Miss Cross from from Rushmore. We get that that scene, which is still a, I, I, is extremely haunting and powerful scene, and and the use of. Um, Music and the thing I think as a soundtrack using popular music, uh, from using Nico to using the Ramones to using other people's music is just oh, so good. I probably that's a soundtrack I have listened to 50, 60 times in my life. Uh, yeah, me, me as well. And one of the one of my favorite scenes in this movie talking about Richie Tannenbaum is the tennis meltdown scene because this is what this is what Wes Anderson is a master at is that he's able to take a very serious moment, still keep it serious, but it's also really funny. And that scene, like it's a, it's, it's a funny scene. Like he's thrown his racket and then all of a sudden he's sitting down and just like staring into space, like completely I believe, depressed. I believe he's taken off his shoe. Right. And that's is, he, actually, is he crying? I think it's actually Wes Anderson. Who's one of the announcers it is. there, but it's also, it it's Wes also, Anderson and, um, the brother, I think. I think it's Andrew Wilson. Okay, right, right. It's also because it's a funny scene, but it also it still retains a very powerful moment, I think, in the film. And that is, I mean, that is a Wes Anderson specialty there. There. Um, so I know now. I know Alicia likes the Life Aquatic better, but what are some of the moments in Royal Tenenbaums that stand out for you? Oh, I absolutely. Uh, love the opening with Ben Stiller with the fire drill yep. <laughs> and the kids leave the doll be- behind. <laughs> He's like, no, just forget about him. Just leave him. Which actually poor, poor Buckley. Play, calls back to the earlier, the later part of the movie 
Um, I think one of my my favorite line in this is, uh, and I'm going to mess it up, is Owen Wilson's Eli Cash. Oh, he's hilarious. You're balling Eli Cash. Um, and he's just like, Wildcat was written, written in a, a lost vernacular. And then he's like, Wildcat. And he just like he just is so high. He just goes off into his other to another world. Um, God, there's so many. Uh, but that's I mean, another. But that's another thing that he does so well. Is like Eli Cash, like Owen Wilson, hilarious in this movie. Like any, like when he's reading from his book at the beginning, it's just really funny. But it's also very sad character and, I, and a character arc that is really good. Actually, like it takes you by surprise in that this guy he he wanted to be a part of this family. Like he wanted to be a Tenenbaum. I mean, that for me is one of the knockout lines in the film. And it really hits you hard at the end. And it's like, yeah, he's just kind of like this guy who's, you know, completely out of it and spaced out and on drugs. And he's, like I said, Owen Wilson, very funny in the role, but also very, very much a sadness to him. To to Eli Cash. You son of a bitch. What are you doing with my encyclopedias? Um, I, my my, I think one of my all time favorite quotes from that from Will Tenenbaums Bombs is when Gene Hackman goes up to uh, uh, I forgot her name, Ethelene, and she, he's just like, uh, "Don't you think boys need to be instilled with a certain kind of recklessness?" Uh, just after he took them to a, a dog fight, she just answers, "No, that's she's awful." Like, she's <laughs> like, "What's that?" She said, "Oh no, it's just dog's blood. It's okay." <laughs> I, I I mean, I, it Chastity also you know. I think uh, I used to say "let's shag ass." That was one of my lines. Yeah, 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 all yeah. And then, um, if you want to talk some jive? I'll talk some jive like you've never talked before. Is something I definitely said in a bar after a few drinks. Um, uh, and Danny Glover—that's probably one of his better performances too. Uh, oh gosh, we could sit here all day, right? And Henry Sherman, about- and yeah, and he's just one of the really good people in the movie. And you know that actually kind of leads me into um, Angelica Houston's performance as Ethelene Tannenbaum. And one of the things I, I think is fascinating about this film is that you know because Royal Tannenbaum, I mean, this guy is a jackass. I mean, he's funny, uh, but I mean, it's you know one of the money lines in the movie is can't someone be a shit their whole life and you know try and repair the damages. Uh, that that's what he says to to Margot, of course. But it's also like, you know, why would God like why would Ethelene Tenenbaum even you know marry this guy? But what's brilliant about the film is they have such a great chemistry in the film that you can see why these two had a connection and were married, and that there is something inside Royal where you know you buy into his redemption at the end. And Angelica so, Houston in general, very underrated in this movie. Uh, so I want to move on to, I, and Alicia, I'm totally going to give you the floor for so much of this one, is uh, The Life Aquatic. Now, you mentioned this is that you like The Life Aquatic more than Royal Tenenbaums. You saw it first. Now, before I let you go on, I'm just going to do, do something here. For a lot of Wes Anderson fans, myself included at the time, uh, this was a letdown. Um because you're coming off the Royal Tenenbaums, and then you're given the Life Aquatic, which to me wasn't as good. And probably I kind of equate this film to Jackie Brown, which is Quentin Tarantino's follow-up to Pulp Fiction. I love you it, have man. this. You have this masterclass of a film in Pulp Fiction, and you go to Jackie Brown, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, this movie sucked. I didn't like it." But if you go back and watch it, it's actually a really good movie. And if you go back and watch The Life Aquatic, 
it's a really good movie, but it's a hindsight movie because you're so hyped for that next Wes Anderson movie after the apex, like that, that this opus you just watched. So that's why I find it. I think it's, it was very telling of how you saw it, this movie first, then watch the Royal Tenenbaums and enjoyed it more. So I would love to know the reason why this long winded lead up into why you like the life aquatic more than Royal Tenenbaums. So like I said before, um, I watched Live Aquatic before Royal Tenenbaums, and I went back and, and, and watched Royal Tenenbaums, which came between that and Rushmore. And I think what hooked me the most in Life Aquatic was the, was the set design, because that's when I feel that this is when Wes Anderson is solidly establishing his style. The lateral sets, the pastel colors, and, and the, the little claymation-like sea animals. I, I love that. Oh, yeah. That's still one of my favorite shots in a movie is when they do the the, the cross section of the boat and it's all the oh, visuals are fantastic. Yeah. But, uh, but sorry. No go no, this is all you. My, my 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 favorite part in the cross section when he um when they start filming like the the part two of the Steve Zissou do- documentary, uh <laughs> and they, they pan over to the lab and they're just like, Yeah, this is where uh we do our, our lab experiments. And then this is the kitchen. We have some of the most high-tech equipment in the world. Um, and once again, it's just going back to how he just uses sets to st- tell a story. And the sets feel as much of a character as, as the actual characters. I still love the fact that when we talk about Wes Anderson and music, that I'm going to mispronounce his name, but Sue Jorge, who plays Peli dos Santos, he mm-hmm. does all the Portuguese uh, Bowie co- covers. He still, to this day, tours that around the world and is still gets like really good crowds for it. That's awesome. He's one of yeah. the better parts of this film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say it hands down. I think this, I think this is the, his best score um, out of all his movies. Which so, this, so this was a bit of a departure for Wes Anderson. This is the first movie in his career at this point that he did not write with Owen Wilson. He wrote with Noah Baumbach. Uh, Noah Baumbach is um, who wouldn't go on to collaborate with other films of Wes Anderson. Uh, he's known for the 1995 film Kicking and Squ- Screaming, also Squid and a Whale, Francis Ha, uh, Greenberg, which I absolutely yeah. hate. I'm with, I'm with you on that one. But um, So he was a writer on, he wrote this one, Life Aquatic. He also would collaborate on a couple other uh, Wes Anderson films. Uh, what was the standout moment for you in this movie, Alicia? Outside of the uh, the set piece that we were talking about earlier, um, I, I the pirate scene <laughs> when he gets the crazy eyes again, and it, it was that weird, just like seizure flash of when he uh, when his friend initially got killed, and he had like the literal swirls in his eyes, and he just goes, he just goes hard. Um, and takes in all those pirates. And this, I love the part when the uh, the one pirate brings down the machete on that poor intern who decides to stay. Oh God. Everything with the interns is in this movie is really, really good. And actually I think probably my favorite line in this whole film is don't point that gun at him. He's an unpaid intern. That's that's, that is hilarious. That is a great, that is a great line. I should actually make that the tagline of the site. Please don't point (laughs) the gun at anyone here. They are unpaid. Oh God. Um, so, uh, what do we, hmm, 
well, I don't I, know where to go with this. Because well, hey, you, you're you're adding a lot of new people into this film. Um, yes. You add, I mean, obviously Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, and Angelica Houston return. Um, but you add a lot of regulars, new regulars to the film. Right. Two of those being Willem Dafoe and Jeff Goldblum, who, in my opinion, I thought really stole the film in all his Jeff Goldblumy glory. Uh, you also added Michael Gambone, who would go on to do Aldous Dumbledore, uh, Noah Taylor, who people were like, uh, don't really know that guy. Yeah, you do. He was in Game of Thrones. He was the manager in Almost Famous. And you added Bud Court, uh, famously um, known for Harold and Maud. Uh, so yeah, you added a lot of new characters to this film. Um, Dan, you were talking about how you're not as a big a fan of this film as Leisha is. Which made me sound super Italian when I said, you're not as big as a fan. Um, so what was it, what was the, you know, what was the reason you did not love this film as much as Alicia? A big part of it is what you've already alluded to is that I went into this film, like, right, so right after the Royal Tenenbaums, I was so hyped for this movie. Like, you joked about Batman earlier. I went into the Life Aquatic like it was a Batman film. I was hyped as hell. When the film ended, it's not that I didn't dislike it. Like, I still liked the movie, even on first viewing. I was just, but, you know, look, it was a natural disappointment following the Royal Tenenbaums, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, I'll say this, though. I think The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou has aged pretty well. This is a good movie. And I, and quite honestly, I actually think there's an argu- argument to be made that this is Wes Anderson's most ambitious film. There's a lot going on in this movie, okay? Um, Zisu's arc, just this whole idea of this guy who was great and he's lost that greatness, which is a very much a Wes Anderson trope. Um, but this whole idea also that you have a subplot, which he even tells you, tells the audience, this is a subplot in her documentary film of getting along, you know, trying to bond with who we think might be his son, Ned. Uh, and you also just have all these insecurities that Steve Zissou goes through of not wanting to admit to people that his wife is really the brains behind the whole operation, people kind of doubting him. Um, and then you just have all, and this was clearly, he clearly got a bigger budget after the success of the Royal Tenenbaums here. So it's a lot more actiony and visual than what we're used to seeing with Wes Anderson. Um, I, so like I said, I think the movie has aged well. It has a lot of really good moments for me. My problem with this movie is twofold. Number one is it moves really slow. I think it's his yeah. slowest film. Uh, <laughs> and number two is... I, I think it's too much the Bill Murray show. And don't get me wrong. He's great in this film. I think, it is, I think it's his second best Wes Anderson performance behind Rushmore. Um, but I think the weakness here is that when you look at a movie like Rushmore and the Royal Tenenbaums, which has so many great supporting characters, this movie, kind of like Bottle Rocket, is very much reliant on just him. Don't get me wrong. I like a lot of Willem Dafoe moments. Don't get me wrong. Hey, Jeff, Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum is great. I even think Owen Wilson, there's, a, there's some good moments here with them. But that those are, to me, the two weaknesses of the film and why it just doesn't hit home for me like it does but like i said i do think i I think the jackie brown comparison was incredible because that is i think now how people feel about jackie brown is that it was following this you know movie that people bow to the altar of with pulp fiction and then fall what followed is it's just you weren't gonna you weren't gonna hit the highs of pulp fiction you weren't gonna hit the highs here of the royal tenenbaums 
But when I look back at it, I think this is a damn good movie, but there are flaws. I also thought, like, Kate Blanchett, she's in it and yeah, yeah. is really kind of one of her more forgettable performances. And I think, like, um, I don't think it's a fault of Kate Blanchett, who I think is one of the most fantastic actresses working today. Is just I don't think her character was given a hell of a lot to do. Uh, it, like you said, it really was a Bill Murray. It was it was it was Bill Murray and the world around him, which makes sense. It's the Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. It's he's the focus here. Um, but I think like that's uh, I think if Wes Anderson, you know, if I could give him a redo on working with an actress again, it would definitely be Kate Blanchett. Um, uh, Alicia, any closing thoughts on the Life Aquatic besides yeah. the fact everyone should go watch it again? And if you've only seen it once, give it another chance. Yeah. I've re seen it. I've re seen the first half again, and now I'm like, I need to watch it again after this conversation. Yeah, because what one thing I noticed on the rewatch is kind of how it, I, now when I first saw it, I was still pretty young. Um, when mm-hmm. when did this come out again? Two thousand four. Yes. Yeah. So I I was. I was a youngin. Um, so I, I just graduated college. <laughs> so I was, I, I, I was kind of very much like, I, I would guess like enamored by more like the sur- surface level stuff, like, Oh, the claymation, uh, little animated fish and the sea life and these kind of dioramas, like science fair diorama sets. Um, and he's like very like David Attenborough and, Jacques Cousteau like documentaries which which as a kid I like I mean I think every kid was like really into animals growing up but um I used to own like mutual Omaha DVDs so maybe that's what subconsciously like uh kicked in when I saw this movie but upon rewatching it recently I realized like how kind of strangely meta and almost documentary like now I know the movie's about a guy making a documentary but there's scenes that I, I kind of question like what's actually happening in real time because the movie's bookended with it, it opens up on his first documentary uh, with the red curtains and then he's at the award ceremony and then it kind of just bleeds into him making this second, the second part of his documentary and it ends with the, the same way his bookend with this um, with the red curtains and people watching the movie. So you have like the very Wes Andersy things like, like the, like, like, like in Royal Tenenbaums, these big sets that are super iconic. And he has these huge lateral and symmetrical and very neat shots uh, and setups, but then it gets like really messy and kind of almost like, um, like the, like the office, like there, like there's this shaking camera, like following Bill Murray around. So it, it, it almost kind of feels like it's a movie about a movie about Wes Anderson going back and like reliving the experiences of making his first movie. Yeah, and I think messy is a good. Huh, I, huh, I, I, huh, I damn, Alicia. <laughs> no, that was, yeah. I, I mean, that is. I mean, that is a great description of what this film is. And I think messy is a good word because that's that's how I feel. Times like you know, I know like the subplot with the pirates. It, it's good and it's kind of it is a funny moment when that ladder all of a sudden just pops up on the boat um, while uh, the character is still playing the guitar and he's not even noticing. Uh, it's just, it's it, the way he films that is classic Wes Anderson. I do want to, you, you kind of alluded to the end of this film though, and I do want to bring up the ending because this is, this is one of the reasons why uh, 
I do think the film works is that ending when they're in the little mini submarine and they finally see the Jaguar shark. To me, that's where the film comes together. And it's like, it it made, even though it's a very slow movie, it makes it all worthwhile. It's all the characters in there. They had just tragically lost Ned. Um, And it's like, everyone's questioning Steve Zissou, like, hey, does this thing even exist? Like, what is this? Like, why have you brought us all here? You've put us all in danger. And it's just like, everybody shuts up and they just look at this shark. The music is perfect. And Steve Zissou gets his greatness back. And they're all kind of tapping his shoulder. And this is when I think Bill Murray's performance really, really seeps through the screen. That is an incredible moment. Uh, so it does come together at the end. And you even have characters like um, Angelica Houston's character, who is, who's really just kind of this cold character. Um, a little bit of Margot Tenenbaum in her. But even at the end, she's just like, Steve, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe I'm looking at this now. So... Um, I'll give Wes Anderson credit for this. It's a damn, damn good ending and a very, very satisfying climax. And the inspiration for my daughter's first Halloween costume ever. So. <laughs> what, the Jaguar <laughs> shark? No, she was Steve Zissou for her. Oh, okay. She okay. had a little, she had a little red blue cap. One, red cap, little blue onesie. We even gave go. her, we, we made, got two smart water bottles and gave her a little oxygen tank. Um, <laughs> I also so, just really love C-Lab 2021. So this uh, is, this is like the art house adaptation of uh one of, my, one of my one of my favorite lines of all time real baby back ribs um <laughs> but alicia like you're describing your childhood I'm like christ every kid should like be watching these documentaries and wes anderson films at this age this is great i'm gonna have to start sophie up uh, so in 2007 i uh, skip ahead a few years mm-hmm. um we get the darjeeling limited uh this was uh, Wes Anderson, uh, a new writing team for him. Roman Coppola, who would go on to collaborate on a number of films with him, and star Jason Schwartzman. Um, the film starred Adrian Brody, uh, Owen Wilson, and Schwartzman. Uh, Bill Murray also pops in here, Angelica Houston. Um, and Natalie Portman is actually in the short film, which was released before, called, I believe, The Hotel Chevalier. Um I think it's about a five to ten, five minute movie. She's in uh, one shot in this movie. <laughs> yeah, she's in one shot in this movie. And uh, so, yeah, this this came out. I remember going to New York City on a rainy, rainy, rainy night with uh, my roommate, and we watched it. And then we drove back, and I remember thinking to myself, the one thing I remember thinking was like, man, I gotta go buy the soundtrack to this. And I think that's the only time I've ever watched this film. And I can tell you, this film does not really pop up on TV that much. And I have like 200 channels. I can tell you, Darjeeling Limited is not the Wes Anderson movie they are playing very often. So what about you guys? When did you guys see this? I mean, I I saw it when it came out. um, And I actually, I, as big of a Wes Anderson fan as I was, I found out about the existence of this movie really late. Like literally like two weeks before it came out, I was like, are you serious? Wes Anderson has a new movie coming out. Oh my God. Um, but this, I mean, this one, this, this was his most disappointing film for me. I I just, I've tried, I have tried to force myself to like this movie on multiple occasions. I think I've seen it maybe like four or five times, something like that. And I really, really want to like this movie, but it's just, and it's something like I, I could really like relate to. I mean, I have three older brothers. So this whole idea of like these guys coming together and they're trying to 
bond over this really big traumatic event that just happened to them like one year earlier. And look, you have a pretty good trio here of Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, you know, Jason Schwartzman back in the mix. Um, I think this was his first role in a Wes Anderson movie since Rushmore. I'm pretty sure. It was. It was. Yeah. yeah. And so, but it's just, it's like, I do, I do like Owen Wilson's performance in this movie. He's really good. He's a good anchor for this. But for me, it's just, it's just an empty movie. There are moments, but it's like you have the character of Francis played by Owen Wilson. And he, he keeps talking about this idea of like, we're on this, we're, we're going to go on this spiritual journey. And it's like, well, that's you almost really, slipped into an Owen Wilson impersonation. I like that. There you go. Uh, so, but it's just like, well, that's really vague and kind of shallow. And that's how I feel mostly about this movie. I, I feel like, oh yeah, go, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, and I, I felt, I'm sorry, I felt like the same because I, I watched it maybe a couple months after it came out. So not immediately when it came out because I just didn't know it was coming out. Like, they were, I don't, the marketing was just terrible for it. Well, I guess you guys aren't as, uh, you know, in the, <laughs> in the movie loop as I am. I don't remember this movie. I don't remember the marketing much for this movie. But, like, it, it was a very, very limited release when it came out. And I think what kind of disappointed me the most was, and I don't know, because, like, really, this is, like, uh, I mean, this, I want to give it this movie excuses, because like, I guess this is his, really his first movie where he's not really, like, an enclosed set, like, in The Life Aquatic. But then again, mm. in The Life Aquatic, they are moving between countries. Um, so it, was it that? And also, he's in like this visually rich country of India, but there was really nothing visually striking about this movie that stands out like in the life aquatic or even the Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, see, I, I, I would disagree with that. I think like the visuals are the one thing I cared about. And I think like I cared, but like I actually dug the scenery and stuff like that. But I like, I think what you said before was the right, was what I feel the same way is like, you want to give this movie excuses, and I think that's just because it's Wes Anderson. I mean, and that's how I was, yeah. It, it's just like, oh, you know what? This movie isn't that bad, but you know what? I have never gone back to it. And I, I'll disagree. Like, I, I felt it was like the wrong cast at the wrong time because this was like Owen Wilson at the height of his Owen Wilsonness. Adrian Brody hot off his Oscar a few years removed, but like he's off the Oscar, so they're still trying to make him a thing. And Schwartzman, like I don't know about this performance; it just didn't do anything for me. Where he's trying to dress like George Harrison, like they, they gave him nothing. I mean, he's just kind of like this writer, and, he, and it's yeah, just, yeah and he mm. co-wrote the script, so which is really weird. Uh, and so it's it's a movie I think that has some visual aspects of it that are like interesting. But like you were saying, it is a very – it's a shallow movie and then they have like that – they have that come to Jesus moment and it's just like you didn't feel it. You just – I'm just like, okay. Because you didn't care about these people and that's and that's the weakness of this film is Wes Anderson. Like we've talked about so good at creating characters and Bill, you talked about Adrian Brody in this movie and he's a good actor obviously. The guy's an Academy Award winner. I, I don't even – I don't like his performance in this movie at all. I no. get that he's supposed to be kind of unlikable. Um, and you know, he, he go, he definitely goes through an arc here. Like he's the one brother who kind of feels like he's better than these other guys, but obviously, but he's really not. And, and I understand that that's like the point where he's supposed to be kind of, um, 
like shut off and just really annoyed by the guy, these guys. And he's in very much of the movie. He's just like, why am I here? Like, I don't like, I find my older brother annoying. Uh, why is he ordering my food? Like, and it's just, but you don't, but you don't care about this guy. That's the problem with this movie is you just, you don't care about any of them. And so when they have their big moment at the end, when they meet up with their mother, it's just like, I mean, I'm, it's great that these guys have gone through realizations and they're ready to kind of face their demons here. Uh, but I don't really care. Can we wrap this up? And the thing is, it's like, this is only like a 90 to hundred minute movie. And it's just like, it feels feels long. Yeah. I mean, I, I I would, like I said, the only thing I loved about this was the soundtrack and that's about it. I I just felt like this was, and I, I was getting frustrated with Wes Anderson myself because I'm like, I wasn't like at the time was not a fan of life aquatic. Wasn't a fan of this. And I'm like, uh, okay, what's going on here? Um, Lisa, go for it. Uh, and also, like, was this really the only movie that, like, his only movie that had like a significant flashback flashback sequence? Uh, maybe. And it's actually oh, funny wow. you mention that. Even, I don't even remember. And the it's so, it's so awkward. <laughs> it's it's actually funny you say that because that is it's actually the one scene I really like about this movie is they flashback. So the whole thing is that their dad uh, died a year earlier. Um, and so these brothers haven't spoken in a year since it happened. And so the flashback scene is about actually them going to their funeral, to his funeral, but they make a panic stop to get their dad's car out of the shop from the mechanic, which isn't ready yet. Um, and so it just, yeah. yeah, And so Adrian Brody is like very panicked and look, obviously they're just going through emotional hell. That's really the crux of the scene. But Adrian Brody's yelling at the guy who like because the car isn't ready and they said it would be. And actually the reason why their dad uh, died was because he got hit by a cab. And so they're very frustrated with the mechanic. Um, and then also in that same scene, it's like the one time I really like felt connected with Jason Schwartzman character is he opens the briefcase and it's I, I guess it's like his first novel, but his dad hadn't read it yet. Um, and so like it was sitting there in his stuff, like in his trunk. So like that, like, I, I do agree with you though, in this sense, Alicia, that the, the scene does seem very awkwardly placed, but as a scene, I actually think it's the best part of this movie. Oh yeah. I, I liked it. I kind of, I just wish that that's how the movie started. Great point. I, that's a great yeah. point. Not with this awkward Bill Murray. And this was, yeah. this was honestly like, this was just Wes Anderson saying, I want to keep my Bill Murray streak alive. No well, the, reason for him to be in this well, movie whatsoever. Well, the whole thing they're trying, to, they're trying to say was, is that their father? And they're mm. chasing their father. And I thought that was kind of weak. The one thing I thought that maybe was good about this movie was the short film. Because I'm like, oh, did this inspire the Grand Budapest Hotel? Because they're in this hotel. And I'm like, yeah, well, if that's what we got out of it, I'll, I'll take it. But let's move on from the Darjeeling Limited to... 2009's The Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was one of the first uh, things I ever wrote up about on Pop Break when we were still like the B&B entertainment blog. It's the worst name for anything ever. Um, And this time we had a a, a much heavy, much more of a heavyweight cast with George Clooney, Meryl Streep, Return of Schwartzman, Return of Bill Murray, uh, Eric Chase Anderson, who is Christofferson, has been in every one of his movies, but is not like well-known, Return from Michael Gambone. Willem Dafoe, Owen Wilson, uh, the lead singer of Pulp, Jar- Jarvis Cocker's in it, Wes Anderson has a voice, Karen Duffy, um, a bunch of other people in this movie, who uh, Brian Cox returns, uh, Garth Jennings, Adrian Brody, 
Mario Batali, uh, a whole slew of people, uh, Roman Coppola as well. Did you mention uh, Willem Dafoe? Ah, uh, yes, I did. Okay, and uh, this was a this was a adapted from the Roald Dahl novel, uh, which uh, Anderson and Noah Baumbach um, took care of. Um, so you mean it wasn't just uh, uh, a, a furry's take on Ocean's Eleven? Wow! I always I take wow. that. I love Fantastic. I actually really love this movie. But I I do it. it that should be the tagline. It's just like furries. In Ocean's Eleven, um, that's well. I mean, that's shining. It does. I, I always, but it, no, it's a. It's funny because I always, I, I do think of Ocean's Eleven a lot when I watch this movie. No doubt. I mean, it's George Clooney, yeah. so you're obviously gonna uh, think that I. Um, I saw. I definitely saw this in the theater. I saw this with my wife when she was still my girlfriend. So long ago this was. Um, but yeah, I am very ambivalent towards this movie, and I will save mm. my ambivalence uh, after you guys go. Um, so what did you guys think of this film? Well, I, I like this movie a lot. Now, this isn't one of his movies that I know a lot of people, there, there, there are people that argue this is his best film. Um, I'm not going to go that far, but it is pretty damn good. Uh, I think that I, I loved it the first time I saw it. Um, unlike the life aquatic, I don't think it has aged as well. Uh, but there are definitely some unbelievable moments i actually i love there's this one shot um where uh mr fox and uh felicity are talking there's kind of like a it looks like a waterfall in the background it's an incredible looking sequence uh i do i i do like george clooney's voice acting a lot in this i think actually to be honest with you one of the things that i like most about this movie is uh his son ash voiced by Jason Schwartzman. And this is a hell of a Jason Schwartzman performance, but just he's, he's very deadpan and funny, but just, it's a very standard character arc where he has to live up to his dad. But there's always like somebody there who's better than him. And then Christofferson comes in and he just creates this really funny rivalry with him. Um, it has some really nice put together sequences. Uh, but I actually, I mean, I, I, I like it more than Bill. But there are definitely sequences where I was a little bit bored with it. Um, definitely has a lot of good lines, though. Uh, but this was... I thought that at the end of the day, this is just a pleasure to watch. And it was a good return to form for Wes Anderson, even if I wasn't blown away by it. But you, Alicia. Yeah, and, and it is a strange and great like turn to form because... I mean, other than the life aquatic, there's nothing in his in his in his work that would suggest that he can even delve in. Like he he's competent enough to delve into something at like animation, let alone like something as as meticulous as like stop motion. Um, I'm I'm a big animation uh, uh, junkie. Um, it's like put it into perspective. I got into a huge online Facebook comments war about how Kubo and the Two Strings should have won over Zootopia. I agree. So I love, yeah, I, yeah, I love stop motion. My rule of thumb with animation is that the, the technicality should always come first. And, and with that said, story shouldn't be bad, but I do agree. It, the, the, the story in Fantastic Mr. Fox is pretty passable, but it is based off a children's book. Um, with that said, he still manages to put in a lot of adult uh, themes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like kind of almost like Wes Anderson looking back at this, 
this childhood book, but now as like an adult man who has to pay bills and and uh, whatnot. <laughs> um, of course, you know, you know that's a great part of that. I'm ambivalent towards this film for two reasons because um, I really, really like it. But why my negativity comes in because I remember walking out of the theater. I'm like. Why the hell couldn't he have made a live action movie? Because I remember I didn't like Darjeeling Limited. I was disappointed by The Life Aquatic. And here he is. He makes a good animated film. But I'm like, give me a real movie with real people. That's what I wanted to see. And I don't know. It just frustrated the hell out of me. Um, because of that. And it's a stupid thing to be frustrated about. But I wanted to see Wes Anderson in his his traditional medium doing his thing. Uh with that being said of my ridiculousness, um, I did think this was great. And I, Alicia, I really like the, the way you said it was it, it's basically like him retelling his favorite children's book in his own way. Like he's telling us telling it to his kids. Like this is the way I would have told it. So I'm going to tell my kids like this is how it is. And I think the one scene where they actually and I could be misplacing this is where they kind of like almost do like that. Like they have the. The, the world and you see like you see the uh the the, the tunnels and there's like the different type of parts of the forest i thought like they're showing the intricacy of everything again is excellent and i really think and it, and again you get that ugly moment with willem dafoe and mr fox where he kills willem dafoe and i remember I was sitting in the theater i'm like holy shit they just killed a guy in a kid's movie and it wasn't like off screen or oh something fell on him no he freaking kills him like, I, it leads to one of i think i it leads though to i think what the best line is of this whole movie uh and it always cracks me up and i i, I wrote it down here because i want to make sure i got it right but uh about about rat who willem dafoe plays uh mr fox says redemption sure but in the end he's just another dead rat in a garbage pail behind a chinese restaurant that is a great line yeah. And I do love just like the caperness of this, the Ocean's Eleven aspect of it. Like, let's go, you know, what they what they have to do at the end. And it just reminded me of like, because this is done by Roald Dahl and it was originally, it reminded me of something I probably would have watched as a kid that was rerun from something on BBC from the 70s or something like that. It, it had that timelessness to it. And I really liked it. And I actually thought the Clooney Streep dynamic was perfect. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, this is just like a movie you want it like <clears throat> as I grow up. Well, no, let me as my kid grows up, I should say that I would love to show her and she would probably enjoy it. Like Alicia said, the meticulousness of the stop motion animation is just mind bendingly good. Can I tell you the two elements to this movie that I really, really don't like? Number one is I think what hurts this film a lot is it's very, very, very repetitive. Um, it's like, how many times do we need to see Mr. Fox pull off a heist, be successful, and there you go. I mean, look, don't get me wrong, as we've been talking about, it looks great, and it is enjoyable to watch, but it is very repetitive. I also, I'm sorry, the whole what the cuss stuff got to me. It's just, you want, and that's another thing, like, hey, you're just, keep repeating the same joke. Like, get it? It's a kid's film, like, it was clever at first, but that stuff gets under my skin. Also nominated for two uh, two Academy Awards. Yes, First it was. for Alexand- Alexander Alexander who just won for the light, uh, for the Shape of Water, and Best Animated Feature, two thousand ten, which is so. I wonder what won that year. Uh, it was up. 
Yeah. Oh, I mean, he ran it. He ran ran into a freight train here. Although that leads us into just very quickly. One other thing I want to say about this movie, Bill, you said like, I'm kind of disappointed. He didn't do another live action one. Uh, so I think what the best part about Mr. F- about Fantastic Mr. Fox is, is what we're going to see coming up very soon is I think Isle of Dogs is going to be incredible. So if Miss, so if Fantastic Mr. Fox was kind of a way for Wes Anderson to explore this animation before he perfected it, which I yeah, think is what I we're going to see with the Isle of Dogs. So then I am all for it. Alicia, you don't agree with the up, up losing to Fantastic Mr. Fox. I mean, switch that. Yeah. So, oh man, I'm gonna. I'm about to probably say something so unpopular. Uh, Listen, I go for it. Yeah, I say it. This is what we do here. Pixar is great. What they do, it's technologically amazing. And and for in a certain time in a certain place, that was incredibly inventive and innovative, and nobody was doing it now. And I liked up. I cried just like anybody else did. There were so many feelings. I. You know, um, I know Moana isn't Moana's not Pixar, right? It's, it's Disney. No, that's just regular Disney. Disney, yeah. Yeah, Disney, Disney but I, I, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm sure they probably share the same staff members or the same offices or however you know production, whatever. Um, so it, it, the thing is that kills me about Pixar is, um, and Disney Animation Studios. It's like, so for example, in, in Zootopia, right? I remember reading something in Zootopia that like a single character, uh, like all the hair on a single or all the fur, all the fur follicles on a single character in Zootopia is just one character in Frozen. I'm like, okay, that's, that's great. That's, that's crazy that, that we have computers that can render these, these supercomputers that can render these things. But at the same time, to what end? It's just cool. You achieve something that was hyper-realistic but there's no heart to it. Um, whereas in something like, for example, Kubo and the Two Strings is, yeah, like they didn't need to do it in stop motion. They could have just uh, CGI'd it, but it gave it this quality that came off as very like paper craft, which kind of complemented the whole theme of the movie where this kid has like origami powers and it's set against this this Japanese-inspired uh setting and uh, aesthetics so like in fantastic mr fox one of the complaints i hear about is like this oh this is this movie's pretentious like he didn't have to like put all the individual hairs uh you know on, on the character but on, on i would have said you never watched the wes anderson film then so yeah but the thing is though what what you get out of the end in the book it, the book's english right it's an english book yes I mean, like and nationally like not language wise right it's from england correct yeah, so there's something like very kind of like taxidermy about these characters, and I get this sense of like uh, the English countryside and like hunting and, and the, the fox hunts and like wolves are extinct in England because everyone hunted them out. So it's it kind of complements, uh, without saying it, this the the English ties to the original book. So mm-hmm. and the soundtrack complements like, that very well. Yeah, and then going on to like something not to jump ahead, but like Isle of Dogs, um, Isle of Dogs, like the, the the character, human characters, kind of look like the puppets from that old show, where, like um, Thunderbirds, about the Thunderbirds or Go. Yeah, but the, that which was also very British, I think. 
Um, yes. I just remember my uncle had the, like some books and they kind of creeped me out. Um, but it, once again, it complements this like post-World War II Japanese retro-futurism and in, in the, the main character, the little kid's a pilot. So that makes sense. It makes sense that your, your figurines or maquettes or whatever they call them when you do stop motion, they kind of are reminiscent of those kind of TV shows. Dear Academy, yeah. listen to Alicia's uh, <laughs> listen to Alicia's speech right. here, and then maybe reconsider up because this is a really good argument. <laughs> I, I I don't want to derail the uh, the the Wes Anderson podcast too much, but like what you what you said about Disney and Pixar films, and this is often a criticism I've had. And I look, they've given us a lot of great films. Okay, don't get me Inside Out, Toy Story three, amazing. Okay, but. What one of my criticisms has been of those movies is that I just think they're more, it's really, really clever. And as you said very well, Alicia, like there's not, there's just not as much depth there. Like, look, Zootopia, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good stuff going on in Zootopia. I think it's a really good movie, but I do think it is more in that realm of it's just really clever. Same thing with, and I know I'm going to make everybody throw their computers against the wall, but I'm sorry. The Incredibles to me, it's a good movie. It has some good character moments. But I think it's just more of a very clever idea with a lot of like nice gags that are really smart. But as I a mean, whole, as a I whole, like I like the Incredibles, and I'm not disagreeing with that. Right, and that's why. And so you know, kind of to bring it home to Isle of Dogs a little bit though too is I think part of the reason why um, Wes Anderson has a good shot here to win an Oscar next year is because he's very lucky that he's going up against a Pixar sequel with the Incredibles too. That I'm sorry, I don't think looks very good. And also Wreck-It Ralph 2, which is the other Disney primary movie, which looks fine. Like, but again, it's, and I like the first Wreck-It Ralph, but it falls into that. It's a very smart premise, but I feel like a movie like Fantastic Mr. Fox, even though it's not one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies, the depth of character is there. Especially, you know, one of the characters we didn't talk about. I love the character of Kylie, which is kind of like his assistant, um, he's a really well-rounded, strong character, and hey, Mr. Fox describes him best. We just need you to be available, and that's what he is in this movie. He's always available with a great character moment. Um, so he brought like, back, uh, sorry, and he, yeah, brought, he brought back the uh, the Bill Murray crazy eyes with the little swirls. Yes, he did. He's oh, Bill Murray's really good in this one too, as the what the beaver, right? The lawyer, yeah, he's, he's the badger. Just, the, oh, the, the bat, the badger. That's right. Ah, they had, man, they had that one sequence on. where they try, they almost want to fight. Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, Wes Anderson. So going back into the realm of people, um, <laughs> in 2012, uh, he had Moonrise Kingdom, which was a, a very short movie, about an hour and 34 minutes. Yep. Uh, brought back Roman Coppola as his co-writer, um, and starred a number of different people uh, that we had not seen in. A couple uh, new Wes Anderson people, Wes Anderson. Uh, yep. Bruce Willis, Ed Norton, Francis McDormand, Tilda Swinton, uh, New Jersey's own Jared Gilman, Kara uh, Hayward, who's not from New Jersey, um, and Bob Balaban. No, Bob Balaban hadn't been anything else. Yeah, Bob Balaban. And so these. this was a pretty much almost like we're starting fresh outside of Bill Murray. For a cast and Jason Schwartzman, who had a, a, a role in it, it was cousin Ben and uh, Harvey Keitel has a nice little spot in there too. But this was like kind of like a turning of a, a page for a lot of the cast you had seen. Um, there was no Owen Wilson in this, as far as I know, um, which was a first. 
Yep. He had been in every single one of his movies. So uh, I remember seeing this in Independent Movie House in Red Bank, New Jersey. Um, and I, you know, went in with a little trepidation to this film because I'm like, you know, okay, I like Fantastic Mr. Fox was an animated film. Did like those previous two films, the two films before that as much. <clears throat> what am I going to get here? And man, oh man, was I ever surprised at how much I adored this film. It was just a, just a wonderful oddball Wes Anderson romance adventure, uh, nod to childhood, not, you know, and gave me probably one of Bruce Willis's best performances in a very, very long time. I wish Bruce Willis would make more movies like this. And speaking of new people in the Wes Anderson world, oh my God, does Edward Norton belong in his movies? And you know what's funny is you said that Owen Wilson's aren't in this one, right? I feel like I feel like his role like would have gone to Owen Wilson, but uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, he decides to go with Edward Norton there. Well, um, you've seen the you see the SNL sketch where he they do the Wes Anderson horror film and he plays Owen Wilson. Uh, th- that is that is really funny. Um, so I, I feel like and he's gr- he plays one of those vintage classic Wes Anderson characters, just obsessed with routine. Uh, but Edward Norton in this movie does have kind of like a childlike aspect to him, which is really, which really works for the film. Um, you know, as always, all the main actors are great here, but it really is like, I I like this movie a lot. This was, and this really blew people out of the water. Um, even, I think it even converted some non Wes Anderson fans. Uh, but look, that at the hardest movie, this works because of the two, uh, main kids, Sam and Susie. Uh, that, I mean, that bond and they really are the heart of this film and they really make it work and they do give great performances. And I think a lot of, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of Wes Anderson movies, you do have a lot of, uh, kids who kind of like act like they're adults almost. Um, I think Ari and Uzi are like that a little bit in the Royal Tenenbaums. Um, I think it really works well for them in this movie as well because that's part of, I feel like that's part of the reason why those two have a connection because they're so disconnected from their peers is they do seem more mature and it kind of isolates them from like, as they say in the movie, Sam is like the least popular kid in their troupe, right? Um, And so it's kind of like, it's a great way for how these characters relate to each other. Uh, And so they are really just a very well put together part of the film. I, I really like that aspect of Moonrise Kingdom. But like you said too, Bruce Bruce Willis is great as is Edward Norton. Um Bill Murray in this one, it's like one the one criticism I would have for Moonrise Kingdom is he it's not it's like I mean he's fine, but he's just, you know, there's not much for him to do in this one. Alicia, what about you? Uh yeah, I I dig I don't really dug Moonrise Kingdom. Um I think like Oh man, I'm gonna say something like mad pretentious. Oh, jeez, <laughs> okay. just, just, just in, go for in, it. And very cinephile. Um, <laughs> if you, if you, um, I, I really want you to be sipping on a craft beer or an Asian whiskey while you're saying this statement. I'm, Smoking I'm a pipe. Actually, doing the former right now. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, it's really good actually. I um, hope it's a, I hope it's a Narragansett because that's where this film takes place. <laughs> it's it's it is a it's a flying dog. Um, <laughs> hey, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, I, so like what's, what's, what I find so charming about this movie and about his other movies is there is 
un- unlike Moonrise Kingdom, it's his, the rest of his movies are like these very grandiose plots. Um, where, like, for example, Royal Tenenbaums, it's about a rich family, or Life Aquatic, it's it's about a sea adventure. But he still manages to find something banal and mundane and these very, like, relatable problems in these these characters that are supposed to be, like, very grandiose. Um, whereas, and I feel like in Moonrise Kingdom, he kind of flips that, where he finds something beautiful in this very banal, small, boring town. Um, and it's, it, it's like these, the, this, um, these, like st- these two star crossed kids going on this like very Goonies adventure where in all honesty, it's, it's pretty low stakes and all the adults are kind of bugging out. I mean, yeah, there's the impending storm and, and, um, Sam, you know, possibly being whisked away to child welfare, but, it's it's all very just like low stakes and banal, but he still manages to make it just charming and, and beautiful. I think you hit on something absolutely perfect when you were saying that because I was thinking the same thing. Whereas everything is so rich, <clears throat> excuse me, rich in Wes Anderson movies, this was very sparse almost, like in some respects. Because if you think about it, you're in New York City, Royal Tenenbaums, in a very like hyper layered hyper detailed area um darjeeling limited you're in india with which is very rich with you know uh, in the in nature and with like the detail that's going into the clothing and on the on the train itself uh fantastic mr fox is all detail you know um darjeeling limited again all detail this movie is it's in the woods it's almost like uh Gosh, if I want to be pretentious now, bringing up my English degree for a no, second, boy. Uh, it's like you know, it's almost like this, you know, Thoreau type, uh, like poem, like it's very nature based and it's very open and it's you know a lot of you know clear skies and here's beautiful shots of the forest and stuff like that. And I think it's just like I said, it's a very rich plot in a very simplistic setting. And also the fact it's set in the 1960s. This is one that's actually pinpointed. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's another one that yeah. has a timestamp on it. And, that's right. And, and it has the nuance of the 60s, but it's also like kind of like when you go to that you know mid-century modern. If you go from an architectural or even design aesthetic, where it's very simple and it's very classic, and that's what this was. It was very simple and classic story, and that's what made it work. And what made it work so much, I remember. This had a $16 million budget, but in the U.S. ended up grossing $45 million. So it was a hell of a profit for this film. And I remember this was a huge word-of-mouth film that people really – it really – people grew on a lot of people because I think there was a lot of people who were a bit gun-shy on Wes Anderson at this point. And so this really was the final – kicking into the door of the new era of Wes Anderson and the one performance in my long-winded bramble here that I think kind of goes forgotten at points that is just so awesome is Bob Balaban with that monotone. I'm like detached narrator. And I just love it because it's not like Alec Baldwin where he's just the voice. It just cuts to him talking and Bob Balaban has always had that amazing delivery. He's great in all the Christopher guest movies um, just love the fact he's in this film and he just, he just makes it so much better. 
Yeah, and he's also like an actual character in the film too, which is interesting. Yeah. And that's why you actually see him as the narrator. And you're, I, you guys have really hit the nail on the head in that simple. And that's, and I mean that as a compliment, by the way. This really is, it's one of the things I love about Wes Anderson is that obviously he has a very unique and distinct style that goes throughout all of his movies. But what makes him such a great filmmaker is that his style, even though it's always very similar, it still feels fresh. And that's why, that's what makes him such a great director. And part of the reason is because he has so many great characters. Um, but this, and you guys are right though, what I like about this is it's a very simple story. Um, and it is a departure from a lot of these characters, as I've kind of talked about before, who just are obsessed with wanting to be great and obsessed with either being great or trying to get their greatness back. This isn't about that. This is more, you know, this is <clears throat> right. really more about people. And just like I said, it's a very simple story uh, that is centered on these two kids and he hits it out of the park. One of the other uh, performances I do really like here is Francis McDormand, um, who just, you know, I, I guess you could say uh, maybe a little underutilized <coughs> here, uh, but you can tell she does a great job of playing that concerned mom, but she is also very, very much a Wes Anderson character. And uh, I wish we could have seen more of Jason Schwartzman here as cousin Ben, uh, but it's a, it's a great little bit role that he has here. Same with Tilda Swinton. I mean, she yeah. was almost born. And I love the fact that her Anderson. character is just called social services. Like that is what it is on IMDb, <laughs> which is great. Also a young Lucas Hedges in this movie as well. Why do I know that name and I can't place him? Manchester by the Sea. He was nominated for that, and also uh, oh, he's in Ladybird. He was in uh, three billboards and Ladybird. Wow, he had a he's had a nice little run for himself. Um, but they uh, also, uh, you know, this was the last good year for Bruce Willis because he was also in Looper this year. That's all. What a hell of a year for him. Yeah, that was his that was his last good year. <laughs> and he's such a. It's just a very under. You're you're right, Bill. It is it is such a great performance, and it's just so understated. But you know, it's also just the idea at the end where you know he becomes this great character when he takes in sam who's just been bounced around from foster care to foster care and i love that uh he dresses like a cop at the end i mean that is such a that is such a wes anderson thing um it just again it just goes back to how specific he is with his characters and every decision that he makes with this with these characters it there's a there's a reason behind it um, and so I like that little tag at the end. This also has probably one of my favorite Wes Anderson shots ever in a movie is in the lightning storm when all three of those characters are hanging by the rope and it's like this blue screen in the background. It looks gorgeous. Nice. Um, all right. So I'm going to move on to, um, one of Wes Anderson's most awarded. Can I, uh, can, actually, films. can I, uh, can I talk about the one Bill Murray line from Moonrise Kingdom that I liked a lot? Didn't love Bill Murray in this movie, but when he says, I'll be out back, I'm going to go find a tree to chop down. That was a good one. I do remember that line. <laughs> uh, the next one, one we're talking about is the Grand Budapest Hotel. 2014 release uh, based inspired by the writings of Stefan Zweig written by Wes Anderson with a story by Wes Anderson and Hugo Guinness, who uh, also was a voice actor in the fantastic Mr. Fox and was, uh, did the art for uh, the art, uh, the paintings of uh, at Eli Cash's house in uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Um, 
this was again a whole almost a, you know you saw a whole new slew of people Ray Fiennes, F. Murray Abraham, Jude Law, Shersha Ronan, Tony Ravori, uh, Tom Wilkinson. No, yeah, no, Tom Wilkinson. That's right. I thought he wasn't in it for a second. Um, Fisher Stevens has a nice little part in there. But again, you're going to see this is a lot of the Wes Anderson uh, troupe. Uh, Bob Balaban, Bill Murray, um, Owen Wilson makes his return. Jason Schwartzman, Edward Norton, Harvey Keitel, Jeff Goldblum, Willem Dafoe, Adrian Brody. So a hell of a star-studded cast. A lot of these guys just in there for a hot second. Um, this is another movie I remember. It took me a while to see it, but I, I think I caught it after the Oscars, actually. Maybe not. I'm not sure, but I remember. I have to actually. Now this is going to bug me when this movie came out. 2014. No, no, no. I'm trying the month it came out. Oh, okay. It, oh, it was a March. That's that's why I was surprised by it. Yes, it was a March 2014 right. release. So it was a very early film that that hung with the Oscars, which I was a little surprised by. Uh, Alicia, I'm going to kick it to you first. You, when did you check this film out? I actually, I believe I saw it before the Oscars. So I, I was lucky enough to kind of get into it, like like pre uh, all the award hype. Um, but I loved it. I loved it. I, I mean, um, this is probably like a super reductive thing to say, but I think, I think this is, I, I get why it gets all the awards. Cause I think this is the most Wes Anderson of all the Wes Anderson movies. That it's is that, the ultimate description that many people yeah, have said. Everybody yeah. says that. Oh yeah. 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 But like, it, it has like a little bit of everything. It has like this strange meadow layered, like it did in, in, um, uh, in like uh, Life Aquatic, um, the props and the set designs, uh, like in, in Fantastic Mr. Fox or Moonrise Kingdoms, like this um, the meticulousness that goes into something like small, like a like a bakery box. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love this movie. I, I I definitely you definitely you're right. This is almost like a greatest hits album. Um, you get the that pure small. Like not small, but like simple romance between Shersha Ronan and Tony Ravarori. Um Man, I should just call him by his character name because I just keep butchering that last name. Oh, what, um, zero? Zero, yes. Yeah. Between Zero and Cotilde. No, not Cotilde. Jeez, Bill. Agatha. Wow, Agatha. I'm just dropping the ball at this point. Um, that is, you get that very simple aspect of it. But then you get like what I was, you know, you saw a little hint of in Hotel Chevalier. Like the richness of this ho- and this grandiosity of the hotel, um, very Tenenbaums esque, um, and the the montageiness of it at times, especially when they're doing the um, uh, the concierge call, which is very you know chopped up in a very Tenenbaums Rushmore esque type way. Um, a lot. Some people are like, yeah, I like this film. It's a very Wes Anderson film, but it's not my favorite. This is right up there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I just love the madcapness of it at times, especially the uh, the chase sequence down the down the slalom, I th- down that massive hill. I think is that great. is an incredible sequence. <laughs> oh, and then the the prison escape sequence, and Ray Fiennes. I think it, that I think Ray Fiennes' performance may be outside of Gene Hackman and Bill Murray. Like he could easily be in a three way dance for like. Best performance as a lead by a lead actor in a Wes Anderson film. He just yeah. 
he's just he's just delightful in every way possible. But then, of course, you get the ugliness of the film, especially with the ending and the ending for both his character and what we find out about Zero and who he is and how F. Murray Abraham talks about how basically he is Zero. And you get like the, the sadness of the relation that, you know, Agatha passed early on in life. And there is the sadness and the, the, the Grand Budapest was no more. Yeah. And, and, and like you add the sadness, this layer of sadness that comes in the end and it just hits you so much harder because you've just watched this basically madcap adventure for the last two hours with, with really good performances. Willem Dafoe in this film basically is the human version of Rat. And he's just so great in it. He has one moment. It's it's the scene where um, everyone's like taking turns punching each other when they're reading off the will. And he, of course, gets the last punch in. And the way he scowls at the camera, only Willem Dafoe could do that. Um, Ed Norton was wonderful in this film. And I also feel like Adrian Brody was probably my favorite Adrian Brody performance of just this foul mouth piece of garbage that he is as a character. character. I, I, I love the part when they're reading the will and he and and they read off uh, Ralph Fiennes' character and he just shoots up and he <laughs> and he calls him out on it. <laughs> See the the Grand Budapest Hotel, like this is I, I pretty much agree with most that this is a really good movie, but while it might not be my favorite Wes Anderson movie I think that this is his most impressively made film. And you can see why this is the this was his first directing nomination. And you can see that. It's like we talked about. I mean, as most Wes Anderson films are, it's intricate as hell. But this movie won four Oscars, okay? And two of them were Best Art Direction and Best Score. And though they won those awards in the first two minutes of this film. I mean, this film just looks stunning. Stunning. Everything about this. It is it is like we've talked about. I mean, Alicia said it best. It's his most Wes Anderson film, and it's true. I mean, this is this is a Wes Anderson movie on steroids. It's just all these great characters. It's intricate as hell. Um, and what I like the, the thing about this movie too is that <laughs> I think one of the other reasons why this was his first directing nomination is um Bill kind of talked about this a little bit, but there's almost like an inception vibe to this movie. It's like you have this character at the beginning in present time picking up the book, and then it's goes to the eighties, uh, and then it goes back to the sixties, um, and then finally the main crux of the story is in the early nineteen thirties. I mean, so many great layers to this. Um the one of the reasons why it's not my favorite Wes Anderson movie, even though I do like it quite a bit, is I just wish I was into the story more because I do like these characters a lot. I mean, Ray Fiennes, I agree with you, Bill. Like right there with Gene Hackman in Royal Tenenbaums and uh, Bill Murray in in Rushmore. I mean, I think these were the three actors who were on the bubble of getting nominations, and they didn't. These are kind of the three standout Wes Anderson performances, I think. Um, and again, Gustav, one of those characters who is just obsessed with routine. It's just it's it's a standard Wes Anderson moment, especially at the beginning. Um, you know, and just the respect he commands from everybody, and you know that's part of the reason why Edward Norton's character comes in the train. And he's like, let them go, like. 
just the fact that he does such a good job of running this hotel. So as I've been rambling on here, so many great characters, I'm just not as into the story, like this kind of clue-esque story. I don't know. Oh, see, I love that. And I like one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the shootout where everyone's just shooting at each other across the hotel. I just loved it. I th- oh, it's so goddamn funny. Wes and Anderson like, is underrated at doing action sequences because they almost feel like effortless and they're so just almost like matter of fact. You see that in the Life Aquatic as well. Uh, Alicia, what's your favorite part of the movie? Um, jeez, man. <laughs> Sorry, I was I was just so uh, just spacing out digging this movie um i i absolutely love the scene when they steal the painting from him and he is adrian bro just going on that tirade and he turns around and they replaced it with the uh the porno picture and the three <laughs> sisters are like they're, they're, he's like what, have you seen the painting and they're like no yeah. and they just and already kill or he kills um jeff goldblum's cat <laughs> Oh my god, that is one yeah. of the that that is one of the funniest moments. He just, and I, it's just he just takes the cat, he just throws it out the and just the look on Willem Dafoe's face, and then Jeff Goldblum in the most perfect Jeff Goldblum delivery you can think of. Did, did he just throw my cat out the window? Oh, Jeff Goldblum's yeah. a goddamn treasure. One of my I like when um, also Ray Fiennes just drops the f bomb in it because he's so proper and he's so put together. There's this one line. I'm just looking. There's one I want to read, but it's just like it's so crass. I just don't want to read it. Um, but it's just like he goes. You see, there are all still faint glimmers of civilization left in this barbaric slaughterhouse that was once known humanity. Indeed, that's what we provide in our modest, humble, insignificant. No, the oh, fuck it. And it's just like I, it just he just gets flustered at these points. And there's one part where he drops the f bomb when he's with Dimitri. Um, you know, is at the funeral, which is the one I don't want to read because it uses a couple epitaphs. So I'd rather not read on podcast. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it's just like he's so effortless. And it, just the part where he starts running like a, a crazed person, it's just like Ray Fiennes is like, here's Voldemort. Here's the most horrible human being on the face of the planet in Schindler's List. Um, he's always super, super serious. And here he is just playing a complete clown in the most dignified way possible. And I only think Wes Anderson could have got that out of him. Much like I only think Wes Anderson could get a, a highly understated performance from a very always over the top Bruce Willis. No, I, he, he should have been nominated for an Oscar for this role. I mean, absolutely. He just commands the screen and you're right. Those are the best parts where he's just like, he, he's reading a poem and it's always, it, I, I love how it's always interrupted by like, they're getting chased and they have to run away. Um, those are some of my favorite moments. Uh, it's just such a, like I said, I, I think this really is his most impressively put together film because it's so well crafted. Um, but also look, you get a lot of great character stuff. I mean, I really do like the bond that he has with zero. I mean, that's part of, that's really, I think what the heart of the story is along with his relationship with Agatha as well. Um, and I love how at the end he finally reveals to him that like, once he's kind of, once zero has earned it, Ray finds, uh, you know, Gustav basically tells him, yep, I was also a lobby boy, just like you. And you have, you have overperformed sir. And you have now passed me as the best lobby boy at the grand Budapest hotel. But in classic Gustav fashion, he always still has to kind of, be vain and compliment himself and it's like you know i mean you did have a great teacher and everything but hey you did you did pass me so uh it's just yeah so many great moments like that in the grand budapest hotel all right so wrap we've wrapped up our you know film by film um 
why don't we rank these films now? I, I, I can pretty much do this from the top of my head. So I'll go first. So give you guys a chance just to go try and jot, jot down what you got. So um, I'm going to go. Uh, would you like me to start from one and go down or start go from backwards? the bottom up? Okay. So I'm going to go with. Okay. Now I have to write it down so I just don't mess it up. Um, I'm going to go with my, my bottom one is going to be Bottle Rocket. It's going to be oh. my, my final one just because, um, which I actually wrote down as Bucket Rottle. That's exactly what I wrote down. Well, there you that's, go. <laughs> that's how much of an impression this film made on me. Um, no, it's just going to be my. It's going to be my bottom one. It's the one that um, I don't know. I just, I just was not as. I just didn't vibe with it as much. Uh, it just barely was not Darjeeling Limited, which will be my next one. And then um, it's a movie that, uh, like I said, I love the soundtrack, love the detail. But uh, I know, honestly, I, I have do have issues with films that deal with uh, the passing of fathers. So I don't know if I'll be revisiting that film anytime soon. Um, the next one up will be The Life Aquatic, which, um, you know, like I said, was not a great um, first step for, you know, first impression for me. But in hindsight, definitely a movie I, I dig more and appreciate more. Uh, Moonrise uh, King. Uh, no, sorry. Fantastic Mr. Fox would be next. Um you know, like I said, I had my ambivalence towards it. It's still a, a really fantastic movie. But, you know, once you started getting in the rarefied air of Wes Anderson, you know, not everyone's going to be in the top three. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom would be my next film. It's just a lovely, lovely film. Uh, uh, Rushmore would actually be number three, uh, which is not a knock on Rushmore. I just I love Rushmore. It's a fantastic film. But Grand Budapest Hotel has always have a special place in my heart. At number two, mostly given because of Ray Fine's performance. And at number one would be The Royal Tenenbaums, because to me, that is the standard bearer for comedy. All right, Alicia, I want to go for it? Sure. All right. Uh, very similar, but I'm going to have to put Darjeeling Limited at the bottom. Yeah, as you rightfully should, yeah. Bill. Get out of here. Yeah. Whatever. It, it, Listen, me- Bocker, Bocket <laughs> Rottle should be at the, at the bottom of <laughs> I mean, it just really, it, 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 a sheer disappointment, um, which is, I guess, is a fault of my own bias. But, um, and then Bottle Rocket next. And then I'm kind of stuck between either putting Rushmore or <sighs> Fantastic Mr. Fox third. Um, Rushmore does have a better story, but on a technical level, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I just love animation. Uh, I think think you answered your own question. Yeah, I'm going to have to put Rushmore right after that. Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, Royal Tenenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom, and then, uh, which one am I? Did I just skip one? You you were down to Grand Budapest and Life Aquatic. Aquatic. And then I'm going to have to put Life Aquatic as as the second to last, and then Grand Budapest at the top. I'm putting best is your number one. Yeah, I, I, I really, it, it's a it's a close it's a close life aquatic. <laughs> I, I respect the life aquatic hall because I as being so high because that's like I can understand why someone could have that high on their Wes Anderson list because as I mentioned before, I really do think it is his most ambitious movie. Um, and you know, one of the scenes that it's, it's honestly one of my favorite Wes Anderson sequences. It's a scene that you talked a lot about Alicia, but it is the, um, let me tell you about my boat scene. And that is why I, I can understand you picking why life aquatic is your best score because that score sequence when he's just kind of going down his boat 
really is incredible. And that is just a damn good moment. Um, for my for my ranking, I, yeah, bottom of the barrel is Darjeeling uh, Limited, not even close. Um, look, Bottle Rocket is next for me. Um, and look, Bottle Rocket, I, I agree, like, definitely some flaws, but the character of Dignan really is really funny. I, and I really do like Owen Wilson's performance there. Um, I think I'm going to go Fantastic Mr. Fox next. Um, you know, like I said, I, I, it's a movie that I don't think I like quite as much as when I first saw it. Um, then next, I would have The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Uh, these next two are really, really tough for me. Um, they're very close. And I guess this will be a little controversial, but for number four, I am going to have The Grand Budapest Hotel. And please, I love the you hell out of that. I, I, of a bitch. I love the hell out of that movie. It's just like I talked about. I'm just not as invested in the story. I respect the way it's constructed and it's very complicated. Um, but the reason why I have Moonrise Kingdom number three barely inching over the Grand Budapest Hotel is I- I'm just more invested in the characters in that film. And look, when the, you know when I what I look for in movies, it's it's always if you give me great characters, I'm gonna like your film. Um, but clearly like the two for me and I know and I think for a lot of people these are probably cliche number one and twos with maybe people having Grand Budapest a little higher but number two for me is Rushmore um I I just I've seen that movie probably like 30 times and I'm gonna watch it many more times in my life uh it's just that is like I said at the very beginning of this podcast that is Wes Anderson's style ingrained in my head. And that is what I remember most. Um, and I just, and like I said, for anything else, it's just because I think it's Bill Murray's best performance. And like number one with a bullet for me, Royal Tenenbaums. And I think Royal Tenenbaums probably has my favorite Wes Anderson scene, which is actually the very end. Um, and that is Royal Tenenbaums' epitaph on his gravestone, which is he randomly he tried to save his family from a sinking battleship or like a battleship wreckage uh so funny and it's just so perfect not only does it sum up the character of royal perfectly but it's just such a great end point to that film and just the it's one of the few van morrison songs that i actually like um plays out as they're all walking out of the gate perfectly shot perfectly directed and you have richie tannenbaum throwing the flower in there and then of course pagoda closing the gate uh just that is the final emphasis on that film and i love it uh I, definitely my number one for me what's funny is on my about you on facebook i put on my tombstone i wanted to say he saved his family from a sinking ship and there's ellipses and enjoyed a good cheeseburger and yes i want the ellipses in there that's <laughs> basically actually what i want written on my tombstone um it is that is a great end to that um to that to that film i also love the bb gun salute and the fact that and again it just it just wraps around perfectly um wes anderson's attention to detail Chaz and his sons they're wearing black adidas suits it's just that that's what i love about this director is just his attention to detail and everything he does has a purpose um and can't wait to see what he does with isle of dogs so isle of dogs is coming out um this friday um some new additions to a cast for him, Brian Cranston, Liam Schreiber, Greta Gerwig, uh, Scarlett Johansson, Courtney B. Vance. Um, 
Now, Dan posed this question, Alicia. I mean, we're all excited. We, I mean, we're, we're all hyped for Isle of Dogs. Yeah. Who is it? Who is an an actor or actor and actress that you know you would love to see in a Wes Anderson film? Um, you know, it's it's like it's it's hard to say because now that with Isle of Dogs, like clearly he is comfortable with with uh, taking on foreign actors or actors that, that don't necessarily that aren't going to necessarily speak English. So now it just like kind of opens up this whole doorway of like, Oh, well now he can like dabble in actors from uh, Asian cinema or just, or cinema from just other countries. Um, as far as an actress or an actor, I would, uh, I would love to see him, um, use is, uh, probably like Aubrey Plaza. I feel like she's just oh, that's oh, wow. That is a great wow. tailor made for a Wes Anderson yeah. movie. Yeah. Or or maybe like um I've only seen her in a couple things like Charlene Yi. Uh she was like in Paper Heart. Yep. Um, yeah, I know what she is. Yeah. She was in Super Bad. Yeah. But, that's her uh, most high high profile one. Oh yeah, that's right. She wasn't super bad. <laughs> she's like yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was going to say um, Frances, uh, what's her name, Frances McDormand, but I, I totally forgot she was in Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> and she's going to be in Isle of Dogs. Yes. Oh, is she? Yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. me, uh, for actor, I, I don't know, because I, I saw him take a, a serious actor like Ray Fiennes and, and let, him, let him have a little fun. For some reason, I would love to see him do something with... Javier Bardem. That's a good one. Oh, that's a good I, one. I don't know why, because I always think like Javier Bardem. I you can know, see that. Because he, he has that commercial that's out right now with Dev Patel uh, that's online. And I just keep seeing him like, oh, this guy always looks like he'd have fun. And then like Skyfall, like he played, like he, he had like a bit of playfulness to him, although it was creepy as hell. Uh, well, so I'm like, seen... no. Sorry. Yeah. Have you seen that movie? What, what, what was it? Michael Fassbender and Cameron Diaz and... Uh... Javier Bardem, uh, uh, love it or hate it, you have the to admit. The counselor, I still have. I still have nightmares about oh, that. was about the that one movie. I almost. That was the movie I almost. I was told Al to stop. Al Manorino to stop writing for. Us, I, I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night screaming because uh, I, I have still have bad memories of watching that movie. Uh, See, I was thinking originally it was like Holly. No, it'd be great was be Benicio del Toro, but I'm like he's already done it. Like stuff that's like he's zany, weird Benicio del Toro stuff. I'm like so it's almost too on the nose. But I also another guy I would love to see him work with would be like someone like Woody Harrelson. No, I, great one. That's a great call. Woody Harrelson. That's I think a great from call. An act, actress standpoint. I had some uh, would be uh, Maya Rudolph. Okay, I can see I, that. Or like Kristen Wiig too. Was that Kristen Wiig as well? I think would work well. I had the other oh, I had someone else actress wise, and it totally. I always think Amy Adams would be good in anything. So, but it would. I was uh, Jessica Chastain. I actually would like to see her in a Wes Anderson film because I think she's has a, a wide range, but I think she's kind of been in this tough you know, like, you know, Black Hawk Down type roles where she's just like tough, hard-nosed, doesn't, you know, takes no shit type characters. And I would love to see what she would do in a Wes Anderson film. Aubrey Plaza and Woody Harrelson are really good answers. I'm, I'm not going to come up with anything that great. Um, I have Aubrey, three... Aubrey Plaza would just, it's just yeah. like, that's just like a slam dunk. Uh, what do you I, think about... Nick, oh, Offerman, Nick, Offerman, <laughs> Nick Offerman, too, I guess you could say. But that might be too on the oh, nose man. as well. 
really pulling from the Parks and Rec pool. Uh, but hey, that's good. They're all great. They're all great actors. Um, there are three. I, I'm going to give you two obvious ones, uh, and then kind of one that's a little off. The if, path. if I know Dan, the, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's not. It's Christian it's Bale not. and Tom Hardy. Uh, oh, Tom Hardy actually would be a really interesting one. Um, I thought about that one. Uh, so the, the obvious one is I think there's a great Wes Anderson character looking lurking inside Ryan Gosling. I really yes. would like to see that. That's the one I forgot. Um, That's the, one I forgot. <laughs> the the other one uh, in actress, I think Anne Hathaway would just really commit to a Wes Anderson role, like just dive all in, and I think she would have a lot of fun with it. Um, the one that I, I just I, I just think this would be an odd pairing, but I just want to see what the hell would happen. What the hell? Denzel Washington. There, you know what? I, I thought about it. Let's him do too. it. Let's do it. Yeah, I think that kind of falls into the Javier Bardem realm of like, hey, let's have a little fun here. Uh, I think that would be really, really interesting. Uh, so those would be my three names. But here's the thing, like whoever Wes Anderson wants, go for it. And then, of course, like I'll, I'll give the I'll just give the super obvious one just so we get it out there. Yes. Obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio in a Wes Anderson film would be amazing, but that's like so, like, just obvious and known that I don't I, feel like I, we I have kinda, to say like, kind of how I said, like, I, I think he, he, I wish he could get a redo with Kate uh, Blanchett. I would. Love I think Kate Blanchett is a voice in Isle of Dogs. Actually, I think you're. I think you're. I'm I think double you, check on that. Tilda Swinton definitely. No, she's not. Um, Oh, yeah. So I would like to see him get a redo, not a redo, but a second chance with Clooney and Meryl Streep. Um, oh, and Scarlett Johansson's in Isle Dogs, I just realized. Yes, yeah, correct. So, oh, Cor- oh Courtney B. Vance is the narrator. Oof, watch out, Alec Baldwin. You've got to run for your money. That could well, be that, really good. That's an interesting question, redos. Um, George Clooney's a pretty good one. That I mean, although I think he did, I think he was in the perfect role for him. So, um yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think I think Kate Blanchett is the ultimate answer to that, though. I, I would agree with you, Bill. Yeah, I mean, because it's just like there's you know we've seen Kate Blanchett do some have some interest intriguing roles in the in the past, and I think she would she'd be all she would be perfect. Uh, I got one for you. I got one for you before before we close this sucker out. Tom Cruise in a Wes Anderson movie. There you go. I thought you were going to say Tom Hanks. I'm like, you know what? That would be actually that would be great too. I mean, we could go on all day with this, but I think Tom Cruise that would be fascinating. Yeah, definitely would. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Um, So, guys, we are going to wrap this up Um, now. uh, Of course, I'm going to do our social media plugs. You know, we are thepopbreak.com. Find us um, on the Facebook at facebook.com forward slash popbreak.com. All spelled. We are at popbreak.com on. Facebook uh, on Twitter, which Alicia is in charge of. So anytime you see a Rick and Morty gift, you know Alicia is on point that day. Uh, we are at the Pop Break uh, on Instagram, and then we are YouTube.com backslash user backslash Pop Break uh, <coughs> or popbreak.com. I always tend to forget that. Um, Alicia, where could people find you and say, you know what, you're right. The Life Aquatic is amazing. Uh, so if you want to come yell at me, uh, you can get me at my, my Instagram, my IG. It's a Alicia underscore Weinberger. That's A-L-I-S-H-A. And uh, my Twitter is Alicia uh, Weinberg because I couldn't fit the E-R at the end. <laughs> Dan, where could everyone say, Jesus Christ, Tom Cruise, really, Dan? Come on now, son. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can absolutely send those messages to me at dcohenwriter 
Again, that is at D. Cohen Writer. Uh, and please also uh, rate and review this podcast on iTunes, The Breakcast. Check out all of our other great past podcasts. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. Yes, and if you really want to make Dan's day even better, uh, tweet him those links of Rob Gronkowski retiring and going to the WWE. Okay, so I'm not for- acknowledge those with a comment. Yeah, he did last time. So for Alicia Weinberger and for Dan Cohen, this is Bill Bodkin saying we hope uh, you're going to love Isle of Dogs as much as we hope to. Good night.